I'm not a big fan of the big mushy edges. You know, I don't slide. So right. when I told Max, I said, you know, I, I can't tell you what a good slide wheel is. I said, that's like asking me, is the race car got good brakes? I, the race car's fast. Right. Yeah, I can tell you that. And it stops when I need it to stop. That's all I can tell you. Welcome to the very first episode of the Venomscape podcast. Uh, even though it's called the Venomscape podcast, most of these are going to be conversations with folks who I think have made uh, either an exceptional impact on downhill skateboarding as a whole or who are maybe you're just up to something kind of neat and, and I want to hear more about it and want to get it out there for more people to know. So it's kind of fitting that this first episode uh, covers probably one of the most iconic figures in downhill skateboarding from what I would guess would call the first golden era. So this was an opportunity when I was in California uh, for the SMR event. I got to go to Huntington Beach, you know, to see Madrid and do whatever I do there. But I got to sit down with Roger Hickey at his shop, which is about five miles from Madrid. Uh, and it's full of all of his Fresh Park stuff and, you know, all the other things he's working on. He, like, he comes up with ideas and turns them into products and continues to make tons of money doing it. So... I, I got, you know, nothing but respect for that business enterprise. But his office is full of all of his skateboard memorabilia and, you know, trophies and old race setups and his suits and helmets and all the, all the stuff that just, like, anybody who's nerdy about skateboard racing history is just, like, eating it up. So I met up with him there, and I, was, I got exactly what I was hoping for, which is that he was able to fill in a lot of major gaps in what I knew about downhill history, especially sort of from the late 70s to where the modern era begins in the late 90s, early 2000s. Because I don't know anybody else who was there for that swath of time, and he was probably the foremost figure in that time. Uh, beyond that, we got to chat about you know a lot of the, the advances in downhill technology, I guess, that happened over the course of his career and sort of some of the entrance of figures who were major players later on and kind of some origin story type stuff. Really cool deal. And Roger Hickey is 100% an original. Uh, I'd say anybody who's ever met him remembers it. And I think you might find some folks who would uh, sort of dismiss Roger out of hand uh, because of his reputation for being kind of a loudmouth and maybe a little bit self-aggrandizing. But the, I have respect for it because he, he means it. He's always shown up, you know, shot his mouth off or not, and then been 100% ready to step on the start line and back it up or not, but he usually did. You know, like when we were in Quebec uh, for the first top speed challenge, he showed up. You know, he hadn't ridden luge in, I think he said, 17 years. And you know, brought his old setup, you know, with every bit of knowledge he'd accrued and then all the time he'd ridden with it. And he didn't go very fast for the first, you know, day and three quarters. He was like kind of high 60s, foot breaking a lot down the hill. Like it kind of looked like, but he showed up pro, you know, all his gear. He had all his friends with Hickey Speed t-shirts. Like it was all like, it was, it was fully laid out, but it kind of looked like maybe it wasn't going to go. But uh, out of nowhere, you know, last run of the day, he just pointed it and got the second fastest time of the 
of the weekend. And who knows? I mean, it was less than a mile an hour off of the fastest time ever, 100 miles an hour. And who knows, maybe wind conditions or whatever, he could have been the fastest ever, but he was still the second fastest ever after a 17-year hiatus. So I've got respect for anybody who can, who can kind of dust it off and just go for it again. So anyway, we'll kind of jump into it. I've got major respect for Roger, you know, and I don't need to know if anything or everything he says is true. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of, for me, it's a more fun world to live in if it all is. But... Uh, I, he's somebody in the, in the world of downhill that I've always really respected and identified with because he's always done his own thing. He's, he's made all his own gear. He's always looked for innovations and, you know, ways to improve the sport through either, you know, racing organization or uh, specifically with, with technology and, and ideas about racing. So I was thrilled to be able to hear what he had to say kind of in a first-person setting, and I hope I could talk to him again and kind of get in deeper. But... Anyway, hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You're so, not interviewing John Hughes, right? I don't know who John Hughes That's is. That's beautiful. <laughs> Maybe now I need to. Because I could, well, I can <laughs> tell you who, you who you're going to waste your time and have their own version of their pre-written resume like the Chapits of the world, or you're going to actually talk about history. Right, but, but I'm, I'm totally okay with recording the other side and oh, leaving no problem. it up to the viewer. Oh, then I'll tell you the wackos to talk to. Right, great. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah, Because yeah. there's a historian, I need to look up his name because I'm going to mention this plenty in this podcast, but there's a historian who says, you have to believe ancient history even if it's not true. Yeah. Because I think you and I could probably talk for five, six hours about this, and I'll probably have to come back to get part two. Uh, let's try to keep it to chronological order for a minute to yep. get some of this these hard points down. Yep. So give me the brief... You know, what was your first skateboard? How did you get into skateboarding? My first skateboard was uh, a friend of our family had three daughters. Those three daughters, we went over to visit them, and they had a Black Knight oak board actually sitting right over there. It's my very first board. That board's over there. That board is right okay, there. Okay, cool. So it had clay wheels on it. And so we went over to their what house. What year? Uh, I was seven. Okay. So I'm 61 now, so... I was born in 57, so 64. Okay. So in 1964. So it was state-of-the-art clay wheels at that absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. So I go over there, and they had a couple boards sitting there. And I was, I was never the guy that wanted to um, uh, do what other kids do. You know I mean? I was just bored to death. I was crazy, but, I mean, I just, like, figured it out. You know, I started racing go-karts at three years old. My dad signed a waiver saying I was five, and I started literally racing. My, my stroller when I was a baby was a racing go-kart that my grandfather built because he built race cars. Had a handle on it, and they would pick it up the front wheels when I'd try to turn it. And my dad used to pick it up and throw it in the trunk of his Plymouth, and I literally had a racing go-kart as a stroller. So when I turned three, they put a motor on it. My dad raced top-field dragsters. They put a motor on it, put brakes on it, cut the handle off, and I used to race it in parking lots. And when I was good enough, my dad entered me in races and said I was five, and I won the first, my five-year-old championship at three. So I grew up racing. So, yeah, so, so you've been a racer since the very, very, very beginning. beginning. Okay. It's, it, I get to finals and I can fall asleep. Right. You know I mean? It's just, I'm not the guy throwing up. I'm the guy that's literally just sleeping and waiting. And so, which, to be wired that way is amazing because you're saving so much energy, it's nuts. Right. So yeah. were you that way from the start? Or did you, do you have memories of being a kid and being nervous? I think I only had memories of being nervous of either letting my dad down or letting a sponsor down. I was never nervous of the act of racing. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's an important distinction. Like even when, when we were in Quebec, remember how I was just like, just kicking back. I mean, right. I could fall asleep on my luge board. And I'm doing something I haven't done in 17 years and I'm about to go 100 and... Like, okay, right. you know. So anyway, 
So then that's when I picked up skateboarding and I slowly stood up and, and just rode skateboards. And then when I was about uh, 16, um, this guy at our high school said, hey, I'm going to race uh, downhill. And I used to race water skis then. Like I, at 16, I could go 107 miles an hour on a water ski. And so my, I'd go behind my dad's drag boats. Right. And we had friends that were world champions and world record holders in water skis. So he said, you should try it. And I go, well, you, I'll just watch you. So he did it and he fell. And I said, yeah, it didn't look too hard, but you kind of fell. So I tried it, got speed wobbles, fell, broke my wrist. <laughs> so I was so pissed off. And, and I thought for sure that brought the, the problem was his board, not me. You know what I mean? It couldn't be me. Right. Because I know how to go fast as can be me. So then I said, okay, so this was a challenge. And so my challenge was I'm going to build my own board and I'm going to try doing this. So I tried doing it and I became okay. And I used to practice on this hill over by Kellogg Hill in Baldwin Park or Covina up there. And then all of a sudden somebody, when I'm 17, they showed me this downhill race in Signal Hill. Okay. So at this point, what was your board? So you, my you board at that board? point is I made, uh, I took a water ski and cut it down, my stand-up board, and I cut it down to, I didn't use the the tongue as the kicktail. I just cut the back part. It was yeah, a Maharaja, flat. yeah, water ski, and it's just flat with a little pintail, and I put skateboard trucks on it. And I think they were, uh, they were either trackers or macahas or something like, or ACS. I can't remember. Because I had a slalom board, too, that was ACS trucks. ACS but they were maximum 500. of 100 millimeters wide. I don't know millimeters, but I think they were probably five inches wide. Okay, so 120, that'd be 125. Pretty pretty narrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, but they were the biggest there was. Right, yeah, yeah. makes sense. So then uh, they showed me Signal Hill, and I had met Skitch Hitchcock and became friends with him. And so him and his brother and Guy Grundy were racing. And it was basically only them. You know what I mean? They had, uh, I, I then knew uh, Chewy Madrigal, and I knew of John Hudson. And so Downhill was actually created before Signal Hill because they race like Catalina and they, but it was more of a giant slalom downhill. Okay, so it wasn't wasn't head to head. Wasn't speed. Okay. Yeah. So it was on time. Yeah. So you know what timed I mean? runs time runs like kind of a, a course you had to negotiate but That's it right. wasn't right. Like giant downhill in the Olympics for skiing. Mm -hmm. It was like that. Do you know what I mean? But not door to door. But not mile an hour either. Oh, okay. It was only time. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Catalina was only time. You know what I mean? Whoever was the fastest time from here to here, you know, wins. So Signal Hill was the first that we're going to go for miles an hour. We're, we're going to be the Bonneville Salt Flats of gravity, you know, or the speed week of gravity. So it only had maybe three, four people in the beginning. And wow, at the first Signal Hill, there were only three or four people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was nothing. So, so that was in... How, do you know how fast they went? Uh, I think it was like 48. That's okay. Still pretty. I'm good fast. friends with Guy Grundy, so I'll make sure that you can interview him. Okay, great. Yeah. That'd so be he came to Bonneville and saw me too when it were this year. So, and he's a good guy to interview because I mean he was the first icon of downhill. Okay. John Hudson was the, the first world champion seven times in a row. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because nobody can beat him at slalom or downhill. But speed run, you know, Guy Grundy was the first, and that's why they had that that whole iconic picture. So I saw that and I thought I'm not good enough to do this hill. So then this guy, Sam Puggio, comes out and get, put some two-by-fours together in 1976 and uh, lays down, blows all the stand-up guys in the weeds. Right. So they didn't have a class. There was no such thing as stand-up and lay down. Right. Do you know what I mean? So then 
77 comes along, it blows up. You had to, you had to be invited. You had to, uh, they had a lay down class and a stand up class. And so I thought, I'm still not good enough at stand up yet. These dudes, I can't be John Hudson. I mean, I these guys are crazy. You know what I mean? They're fast. So I decided I'll build a luge board. So I built a luge board with my dad. We, we found elevator wheels that were urethane with aluminum hubs and these giant bearings. So my dad machined some six tracks. I got sponsored by Tracker. They machined some six tracks so that the bolt would thread into the truck okay. to, to accommodate the big bearing. Yeah, yeah. The urethane was probably a thousand durometer. It was like glass. You know uh. what I mean? So my dad froze it and cut little grooves in it, thinking that this will at least help me track. Yeah. But it was only a half inch wide. So literally just blades. So like then blades with a floppy surface. Horrible. So then the so then the rule was it could the lay down board couldn't be over at that time eight feet long, and it couldn't be over, uh, I think fifty pounds. And so we made my board forty nine point five pounds, and my dad made like a spring steel thing with lead weights underneath because he said we got to keep the weight down low yeah. and all that stuff. And did that have foot, did that board have foot pegs? It it had. It did not have foot pegs. It had uh, ankle supports mm. that held my ankles off the five-inch wheels or four-inch wheels. Oh, so the wheels were all the way up at the front? The wheels are all the way up at the front and all the way in the back. Yeah. So we didn't know. Right, you know what right, I mean? right. So it was this big oscillating wobble that that big long wheelbase creates. That you were in the middle of. Yeah, that you don't know. You know. So I did figure out quickly to start tightening the back and not the front. I figured that part out. God, I wish I could get people to start doing that now. <laughs> so I... So I, I uh, I made it. I went down the hill. I think I went, uh, I got like eighth out of maybe 60 people. But you, did you have like a really fast hill to do test runs on or were you just? Oh, I, yeah. So I went to Puddingstone and tested there. Okay. Because that was built then, that Frank G. Benelli Park. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I tested there. I tested in whatever hill I could find. Okay. But you had taken it to some speed before you went to. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, um, but not that elevator drop. You know what I mean? That hill was just, first of all, there were so many people, it was crazy. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like the Rolling Stones came. I mean, it was, we yeah, showed up and I was just like, it's unreal. nuts. It was nuts. I've never even seen it now. But I mean, like at that time, especially, like that was a major stunt show. Well, and it was a major <sighs> hill because they raced hill climbs up it right. every year. You know what I mean? And people saw that the teaser the year before. So it became big and you had uh, Mahoney, you had all these people involved in this thing. So that's when all of a sudden, uh, skate car showed up. You know what I mean? And yeah. so they're like, well, shit, now there's like three classes. Now you have stand-up, lay-down, and skate car. So the lay-down started getting replaced by skate car. So then what happened the following year is everybody was showing up with lay-down boards and it got rained out. So in that rain delay, everybody built skate cars. And so that's when I built my light blue feet for a skateboard, skate car because I'd already seen um, uh, Dilbergs and and um henry's and all that i saw all their boards where they lay down head first and i told my dad i said i don't want to hit that guardrail head first right. we got to figure out how to go feet first that seems like there was no advantage to a head first skate car not really except for the except for the teardrop shape you of know because your head is bigger than your feet you know right. what i mean so you could funnel it out better but i just made a lay down board that was so dangerous and so crazy that my dad had to sit on it to squish me down in there i didn't wear shoes oh, i mean it, man oh yeah and it was just a it was a death it had a roll cage you know but so i remember in 78 so hudson won you know that other one the first stand one, up 77 yeah just killed him 
And then, uh, and then they're just, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So in 78, I think there's 200 people and, uh, it's probably equal, maybe stand up and, and lay down a lot, but it was just, oh my God, it was crazy. You had people that were building stuff that they had no idea what they're doing. And there was, there's boards going through the crowd that weighed 60 pounds at, at, 50 miles an hour and it was just just carnage i mean i flipped mine upside down because i was so locked in this thing i couldn't steer it and it started pulling left and we found out that we tightened the truck the base plate too tight and it cracked the base plate and jarred it a little and i had everything so tight started turning left and i'm inside the car rolled up on the side edge trying to get it to turn a wind turn one turn one turn hit the curb flipped it was the first time i ever cussed in front of my dad and uh he gets up there and i'm like get me out of this I just went on like complete, uh, like paragraph of cuss words. And then all of a sudden I'm like, uh oh, it's my dad. And I, he's just, he told me later, he was just laughing. And I go, cut this piece of shit roll cage off this thing. Cut that off. Cut that off. I can't steer. So we cut everything off the thing. So now it was illegal. You know uh, what I mean? So we ran it anyway. We didn't care. Right. Your tech inspector, tech inspector was at the beginning. Right. So all said and done, I ended up fourth in this, uh, skate car and then we went what to was your speed uh, i was like 57.9 or something like that and 58.91 or something like that pretty good everybody was right there is it like signal what was the dude what was the fastest speed in stand-up ever recorded at signal hill skate car or otherwise i mean i think i close to 59 okay yeah right around there but it's 59 in a grocery store you know what i mean it's like right. it's so fast right no the, the drop in a really in short. an intersection that was like two whoop-de-doos right you know People went out, got hit by cars. I mean, everything. It was the craziest thing ever. And so then we went to, a few months later, we went to Akron, Ohio and raced Derby Downs at the, where the Soapbox Derbies were. So that really was the last race of the skate cars, not Signal Hill. Interesting. So what happened was Signal Hill was such a bloodbath that just nobody wanted to come back. Tina almost died. I mean, all this stuff happened. And maybe that's, I don't know because I was only... 19 you know or whatever it was 20 and so maybe lawsuits started happening then in america um and so it just was too much of a liability so 78 it dies slalom is still going so we all started flooding down i started a thing called ura which is underground races association because no one was doing anything so i started having underground races in la costa at box and black and then i discovered signal uh glendora mountain road and so i said wait a minute we got to have a whole different technology. These boards don't turn. So I literally started, uh, I've been fortunate that I can make money a lot of different ways. You know what I mean? So yeah, I've basically true. been a flim flam man my whole life. You know, <laughs> I just make money. So that afforded me time to do things. And so I started bringing the trucks back, 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 back till it was too far. And then my feet would hit the ground, the board would do a nose wheelie. And so then I went forward, 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 forward. So it's too far. And it started wobbling and back, back, back. Until I found like the sweet spot was about five inches. The inside truck, the middle kingpin was five inches down the bottom of my butt. And the back was directly under my neck. And this was perfect. So that's like exactly what people ride now. Right. There's a big difference though on one part of it. So then I was watching Formula One. And ELF had this Formula One car that had four wheels in the front. And it just killed everybody. It murdered them. Like they outlawed this car because it won by four days, you know. And so I was like, oh. right. it was in, it was there for one season I, until they that was it. it. They changed the rules. And they couldn't have it anymore. Yeah, because nobody could beat it. Right. <clears throat> so I remember I had a roommate named Bob Gilbert. I said, I'm going to try that. 
So I put another truck on the front. And I even made a wing. I have a picture of this board that said ELF. Because, you know, I'm like, oh, right, this guy. Look like the car, yeah. So I went up. And we had a little group of maybe 20 to 30 guys that would race every weekend up there. And I just was annihilating these guys. And I started playing around with the front two trucks and realizing that the front front truck needed to be a little bit tighter than the inside, the back front truck. And there was a combo there that would make the wheels almost bind each other. And that was your braking system. And so what had happened is as you would pitch it, they come out of alignment and you could control the slide. So if you wanted a lot of brake, you used the rear wheels like a sprint car, mm -hmm. you back it in. If you wanted to just scrub, you just threw a little turn to it and it would throw the front wheels out of a little bit of alignment and it would scrub enough to just enter the turn. Right, so it's like the front truck would keep it turning and the inside, or probably the front front one would articulate more and it would put the front no, wheels. No, the inside because of the flex. Okay, so put the inside one slightly. More turn. So they had a little more angle of incidence and the wheels would be scrubbing just a little bit, but the front truck and the rear truck would still be turning normally. Right, so in between Perfect. that so space. Kinda, it's like dragging your rear brake just a little bit just on a little. motorcycle. Yeah. So in between the space of the front two trucks would become a crab. They'd mm -hmm. crab a little bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so then by 79. So what were the wheels? Uh, they, back then they were uh, mostly Kryptonics until the Supermundo came in. And so I started riding for Tom Peterson and, and Neil back then. Yeah. And they would make me a case of wheels, and we would go to Glendora Mountain Road, and we'd spend all day. And, they'd so, and for, for posterity for the listeners, uh, when you say Neil, you mean... Neil Piper. Neil Piper, who is still and at, at And Industries yeah. that makes all the wheels right. that everybody rides today. Nobody knows more than him. Yeah. So <laughs> we would go up there, and I would ride all day. It, because they've bought me leathers, this, that, and I, I was—I just felt indebted to these people that and they were. Speaking of having aged a day, how old is Neil? Oh, I don't know. He doesn't look old either. No, not yeah. at all. I, no, I love Neil. I was—I was sad they moved, and yeah. so we'd go up there every day and ride all day. And Tom and Neil would write down stuff, and then we'd go try to make new wheels again. And literally, I tell people, I go like when that guy on online said, "Oh, what do you know about wheels?" I'm like, everything invented on wheels right now. I'm a third of. Right, what indeed. I'm one third of what came out of all of that. Do you know what I mean? And um, so we dial that in. I have my own little team so that, of course, they get the good stuff. And then we then all of a sudden, like, <clears throat> now we're getting into the 80s. And so in the 80s, I still was holding races, but they're underground. So in the 80s, I decided to start uh, figure which is Federation of International Gravity Racing, and start paying to have legal races. So I picked up sponsors. I had a couple races at Glendora, literally blocked, legal. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of them at Glendora, a bunch of them at Puddingstone, uh, Old Waterman Canyon, um, La Costa, wherever I could. Uh, I think one in Oregon. And so at this point, how many people were showing up for races? Mm, you'd have 40 to 50 in laydown, and then... Uh, Probably 30 in stand-up. Okay, so really not, not too bad a turnout. And then no, before that, so how many people were there? You know, how many, how many stand-up racers would you get in the John Hudson era? You know, at a Capitola Classic or, or the races that we see? Because this is, this is the stuff that's fascinating. You get 40. Okay, so not that much more. Right, because those were small hills, not dangerous. Okay. And, and you were by yourself, kind of. You know what I mean? Like Capitola, we raced each other, but... Not really. There was no room to bump and stuff like that. Right. I mean, like, Kurt Kimball and I used to punch each other in the middle of the first turn because we hated each other. But other than that, you know, that's where I got my kid with no respect from uh, Action Now. Right. So, because it just didn't put up with crap. So, when the 80s came in, I said, okay, well, we have Capitola. We have uh, Capitola, I think, started in 79. Laguna Seca started in 79. 
Um, there was other races, other people having races, legal races. So I said, I need to do that. <clears throat> so we did. And I got a lot of sponsors, uh, a lot of backing. And then the first Laguna Seca I raced with Hudson in it. Um, well, okay, so Capitola was first. We raced Capitola, and I get fifth. This is in 79? 79. I get fifth. And uh, everybody's like, whoa. And so Jerry Madrid's like, whoa, I got a kid that just got fifth. Because Jerry Madrid's team was always like, he's always like, he, he laughs that I call him like our dad because he's only five years older than me. But he, he took care of, he bailed me out of jail a thousand times. Right, but I, I get everywhere. the feeling, I mean, I've only known Jerry for 12 years or something like that. He's but a I, sheepdog. I get the feeling that he's been the way he is now as long as he's been. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that he would have, he would have felt like a, a dad figure no matter what. Time. Yeah. Jerry has been gray his entire life. Right. Do you know what I mean? So what, so how did you get on Madrid? As we glossed over this part of the story. That's true. So Madrid, when I started uh, winning all these things, all this, Boa Brown was one of my best friends and Perry Fisher and Don Bomay, Rick Denton. These guys were all like, we all raced together and stuff. So Bo got a job at Madrid. And so then I met Jerry and he said, you know, well, I can make you a board. And so this is in 78. Okay. So he says, I can make you a board. And I said, okay. I said, but I have this one Dwayne Peters board that I love and it's concave. And he goes, well, all the downhill boards are flat. And we had this big conversation. So he made me a flat board and, and I drew the shape, same shape as that one. Yeah. And it was flat and it flexed. So I raced that board, the first Capitola in 79 and I got fifth. But what I didn't like is the flex kept changing my steering geometry and I could feel it. So as I would hit a bump, because I always concentrated on bumps and trying to uh, pump out the backside of the bump with no one knowing. Right. I would lift up coming to it and I would just drop down out the back and it, I just instantly have speed. So I, I noticed that I would do that, it would wobble. And I'm like, it's gotta be the board change in the back truck because I always knew about tipping the back truck. So I said, we gotta make a concave. And he's like, well, they don't make concaves. I go, I just want one. So they made a concave. It wasn't enough until we got Lucille, which was like a seven degree taco. Right. And that was it. That was the first commercial sold concave downhill board. And so at the same time as that happening, uh, so then we go from, we did that. I raced the flat board at the first Laguna Seca. And that's when I noticed it was coming out of the turn. I had a problem. So then the next year, and at this time, Action Now is coming out. I'm getting on the covers of magazines. I'm getting action. I was in every issue of Action Now. So like a lot of downhill momentum was going. And that's when I changed Laydown <coughs> to Street Luge. Because the normal people were like, huh? What do you mean Laydown? It, didn't make any sense. it just sounds stupid. So I'm like, it, they, and yet you always end up saying, oh, it's like Ice Luge. But, it's, but it, you do it on the street. And I'm like, screw it. Let's just call it Street Luge. And then literally the next year I changed stand-up to speedboarding. You know what I mean? I'm like, we got to make these sports like they sound, make sense. Right. You know what I mean? So everything was evolving the whole time. Um, but what happened in 1980 was I beat John Hudson. And so. So where did that happen? At Laguna Seca. Okay. Now this story is a crack up. So we find out about Laguna Seca. We know all about John Hudson because it's all about John Hudson. Right. Because he's been the guy for so long. Nobody beats him. Yeah. Ever. I don't know how many years he went. Never beat. Nobody beat him. Undefeated seven, nine years, whatever. Well, D. David Morin, the editor of Action Now, started building me up to build, oh, he's, this new kid's going to be John Hudson, the kid with no respect, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I was loving it, but I was thinking, I better beat him. Like, this dude built me up for a year. I better beat this guy. So I, Perry Fisser and I go to Laguna Seca four days early and buy a camping permit, and we camp on that hill. 
and we practice that hill every day. The first day, I said, the first day we're only going up a quarter, and we're going to master from a quarter down. The next day we're going to go up a half, and we're going to master from a half down. We're going to try everything we can try. I made my brother go. He doesn't even do downhill. We made him do it anyway. <laughs> so by the fourth day, which is the day before the competition, we could do it in our sleep. And it's a radical hill. I mean, it's, it's not easy. I mean, maybe it's easy for the sliding guys because they have it in their head. You know, I mean, when we raced it, oh, this is like a while ago now, seven or eight years ago, it was still challenging. I mean, it yeah. was not a sliding hill at all, but, but that first turn at to full be speed fast, was no joke. No joke. And to be fast, you got to hit the turn right. Absolutely. You can't come out too late because it rises. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you got to figure out how to use the drop and come out on the drop and uh, t towards the bridge. So, so what we did is we, we pulled this whole scam where we left and we were watching the race, people coming in and practicing and qualifying from down the road. And we came up and acted like I was late. My car broke down. Oh, my God, I'm late. My car broke down. <clears throat> Can I get a practice run? No, you're fucking late. Well, this was NHS, and that's John Hudson's team. Right. So, so there's no way they were going to give you No any way answer. they're giving me nothing. Right? So then I'm like, ah, oh, I got to practice, man. They should have been around time. Look at this idiot. It's long hair punk. Bleed, blah, blah. <laughs> and inside I'm like, oh, you're just biting the bait. And so then I go, well, do I get two qualifying runs? No, you missed them. You get one. That's it. You better get up there. So we go up there. Wah! Perfect. Qualify first. Yeah, perfect so, run. So now everybody's like, what the hell just happened? And what is he wearing? Because I got a mask on. I got a speed suit on. My shoes are duct tape. I got brand new Crips. They're like, when did this kid all of a sudden turn into like a pro? So what was everybody else wearing at that time? Regular just stuff. And then all of a sudden everybody brought out wetsuits. Okay. So John Hudson put a wetsuit on. But he put it on over his leathers. Oh. Geez. So he just wanted it. I don't know what was. No, everybody's afraid to take the leathers off. Right. I'm going naked in a speed suit. Yeah. I got like the shortest shorts. They said, you got to have knee pads and elbow pads. I cut tube socks that I had and I slid it up. And I said, here's my knee pads. Here's my elbow pads. They're like, no, those aren't. I go, no, those are my pads. Right. They didn't specify. A, didn't specify. A thickness. Or... Nope dimensions so. nope didn't specify and so i put duct tape on my shoelaces everybody made fun of my mask they made fun of my shoelaces you're not going fast enough for this i go really and so, what were, so what were the goggles the goggles were uh scott uh motocross goggles okay and, and the only reason is they fit in my flyaway perfect right and so nobody knows that i actually cut that flyaway in half and took an inch out of the middle and made it skinnier and refiberglassed it back together and repainted it like a stock wow yeah that's Repainted tremendous. it like a stock uh, flyway. So if you look at the pictures of me, it's so tight yeah. to my head. That's like one of those things. Like it just in those photos, it looks so perfect. Yeah. But you'd never know. You never put your finger on what it was. Oh no, no, they didn't know. So I did that first race. So I discovered something that at Laguna Seca there was a crosswind, and so if I went over to the guardrail, uh, I could hide from the crosswind. So everybody was taken off at the start, and they dived to the left to come over and then go into the turn. And right. so my first heat race, I, I told Perry and, and everybody, I said, I can't use it. I gotta save it. I gotta save it till the finals. And they're like, if you make it to the finals, I'm like, I'm saving it. I'm not using it. And if I don't get to the finals, I'm not doing it. So every run I'd win and they'd interview me. Oh, you got it. I said, it doesn't matter. I'm here to be John Hudson. I said, if I get second to last, he's gonna be last. So I was just, and he was pissed, just hated me. So right, was, at that point, it didn't matter if you won. You were just going to be the guy to beat Hudson. That's it. I right. didn't care. So it was the South against the North. We were Fogtown South. There were NHS. You know what I mean? Santa Cruz. We're Huntington Beach. And so it was on. It was like 
it was like a gang warfare on downhill. And so then, uh, so the bracket was perfect. Hudson qualifies second, I qualify first, and we just keep going and going and going and going. And I think there was 32 people to start with. And so all of a sudden now we're in the finals, you know. And so we get up there, and Hudson's like, what side do you want? I go, doesn't matter. He goes, it does matter. I go, I'll take the right. Really? He goes, everybody, everybody takes, wanted to be on the left. Everybody takes the left. And I go, no, I'll take the right. And I said, I'd rather use the good lane the next run. Only because I know I got to head to that guardrail. So the starting boxes. So, so wait, the next run. Did you you do two. Every, run, every race I ever raced before the modern day, you race two because it's on time. So, so when you raced head to head, it was still on time. Two times. And you do two runs That's and right. combined time wins. No, the fastest of the two wins. Unless you cross the finish line first both times. Okay, and then it's obvious. Well, then it's obvious, obviously right. Obviously, you're the fastest. Right, okay. right. Oh, see, that's like, this is an element of downhill racing uh, lore that nobody knows about. No. I never knew this. Nope. Capitola, so you, same thing. You'd race head-to-head. -head Twice. But you could you could, you could could win once but and win the, and and lose win the, the other time. And win. But whichever, he, whichever time was the fastest. That's right. Amazing. Yeah, it was perfect. It okay. was a perfect taking... The whole thing about lane choice and everything away. Yeah. But you as a you as the number one qualifier could pick which lane you want first. Yeah. Not second, right? So I picked the right. Would it switch automatically for automatically. the second round? Automatically. Okay. It's automatic. So you have to race both lanes. So I picked the right. I guess this makes sense if that's coming from hills that were straight. If you're gonna or, or Yeah, they weren't all turn. straight though. Look, look, Laguna Seca wasn't straight in Right, right. That's what yeah. I mean. So if the yeah. rules were coming from an era when most hills that they raced on right. were pretty mellow. And slalom. If you were going to go to Benelli Downhill Park. Downhill came from slalom. Right. If you were going to go to Benelli Park and race, and you were going to drag race, well, yeah, you'd want to switch but lanes. But slalom does that. You race in these right. lanes, you race in these yeah, lanes. But those are for combined time. It's not the faster of the two times. Right. Well, back then it wasn't combined but time. But no, I'm just saying, it's interesting. Yeah. But it's even slalom format. back then was not combined time. Oh, it was just for the fastest time? Just for the fastest time. Interesting. So, because one course might be faster. Right. And so, get, okay. so I'd head to the right. They get us, and then back then you didn't have unlimited push. You had a 25 foot push box. If you crow hopped, if you put your foot past the thickness of the tape, DQ'd right there. And they even tell you, DQ'd, you know what I mean? You don't even right, go down gone. there. Yeah. So you practice this 25 foot at home so that you could have, mine was always like two tiny hops just to get it rolling, one big one, one giant slap and gone. You know what I mean? And I'd always plant my hand here so I didn't have any reverse motion going the other way. And I had a great push. I mean, really, if it came down to money, nobody could. I had a 21-mile-an-hour push, and I know that because I wow. used to push into a radar gun to learn how to go faster. So we take off. I didn't want to blow him away on the push. So I, I kind of stayed even with him, and then I darted over to the guardrail, which you know is like, it's so far over there, it's crazy. It's like yeah. three lanes away, but it's rocky, but there's no wind. And so he's over in this crosswind. I'm over in the guardrail, and I'm literally burying my shoulder next to the guardrail looking at him. He's looking at me like, what is this idiot doing? But from that line, I had to get in front of him and come all the way across and then turn. So I literally made the turn twice as hard as it was. And I had to, the only way I was going to do it is counting on getting in front of him. No draft, no nothing. Just beating him in a drag race. Because I knew if I could beat him With in a... With the wind advantage. With the wind advantage. Now, the reason I had this, you'll discover on the second run. I get in front of him, I come over on him hard, and I probably only have a foot of clearance, and I knew it was going to freak him out. And, and there's a picture where he's coming out of his tuck behind me. That's because I just went in front of him. Chopped I him. Just chopped him. And went around the corner and learned, turned around, and he was gone. You know what I mean? When I crossed the finish line, I turned around. But I stayed in. I knew 
make the first run as fast as humanly possible with no draft. And I've won this race. And the reason is I'll get, I'll out push him in the second race, get in front of him, let him draft me and I'll stand up. And if I stand up, it slows him enough. It'll slow him down enough that he can't beat that first run. So that was my strategy. So I win the first run. People go crazy. That almost broke my nose. Right. First time anybody's crossed the finish line in front of John That's Hudson. That's right. And, like and now John Hudson's losing it. He's right. like taking the gloves off illegally. You're supposed to wear gloves. Takes the gloves off. In the picture, you can see him with no gloves. Right. I've seen this picture, but, but nobody knows why. That's, this is the cool thing. Is everybody's is just like, oh, wow, he was badass. But, but he's desperate. Panicking. Ugh. Takes the gloves off. Takes the, 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 takes the leathers out from under the speed suit. Puts I mean, the wetsuit back sorry, on. Puts the wetsuit back on. Right? With no leathers. P freaking out. Running around putting new bearings, new kryptonics. I, I go get a new set of kryptonics. We go to the top. <clears throat> and this is it. So now I'm in that lane, right? And now he's starting to go, shit, he's in the good lane. You know what I mean? He just beat me in the bad right. lane. He's got to decide whether or not he's going to try your strategy. Right. So then I, I tell him, I go, don't worry, man. You'll have a chance because I'm going to out-push you. I said, so you can try your drafting tricks. I wanted him to, right? Right. We take off. Perry knew this whole plan before we even started. I had this plan on Thursday. Right. You know what I mean? Because I realized the double time thing. You know what I mean? Make him slow down. You know what I mean? So because as long as you smoke him on the first run. That's right. All you got to do is slow him down. Slow him down. One. That's it. Slow you him down a tenth and you win. Right. So uh, so we take off. Wow, wow, wow. I push. He, he purposely doesn't try to push hard. Pulls in behind me and I'm like, shit. And so I'm going like this. Well, I mastered like the fake fall. You know, where you're like, oh. And, and, and I purposely opened my legs up and let him suck right into it. He was like, he was six inches behind my ass. Like he was on me. And I wanted him as close as I could so I do the fake fall. He freaks out. You know what I mean? So we're coming down, I, and I was thinking in my head, I don't want to do this with people not watching, so I want to do it where the crowd's watching. So I wait. We're coming down the hill. I do the fake fall, and I stand up like this. Hudson freaks out, stands up, and then motors around me, right? I get back in my tuck. What the hell? I'm catching him again. I'm like, how am I catching him? So I'm thinking, shit. So now I'm on him. Do I just go? I mean, I know I've already won. I literally already knew I won because I knew I slowed him down. And I was confident my first run was crazy. Well, I know the time. Right. The time was the best run of the whole day, even more than my qualifying. So I'm on him, and I'm like, do I go for it? Do I sit here? I didn't know what to do. So I think it just, he was so baffled. He came out of the turn, and he went wide and kind of just didn't have a good line. And so I just went past him, and I beat him again. That's no, super over. It's super over, yeah. So I just beat him. I didn't even plan on beating him the second run, but I just beat him anyway because he was just... He just, his brain couldn't handle it. And at that point, too, nobody can say anything. Nothing. That was, that was it. It was over. And so, and then after that, so then he never, he never won again. He beat me one more time. Okay. Where he was that? He beat me at Capitola the following year because I broke my ankle. Okay. Being a stupid ass. Showing off. So I got to the finish of qualifying and I, I sat down and stood up, you know, like mm -hmm. a street luge stop. Right. And I hit a crack in the road and it broke my ankle. And, uh. So Jerry taped it all up, and I rode anyway, and I did shitty. I think I got like sixth or seventh or something like that. And that was on the cover of the magazine. It said uh, Rocky II, Hickey versus Hudson, Capitola, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and so, oh, yeah, he was just a flash in the pan. You know, they didn't realize I had a broken friggin' ankle. Right. And, uh, but then after that, no more. That was it. And I probably raced him maybe 30 more times after that. Okay, that's I, a lot of times. I would just toy with him. Right. Yeah. But that's cool that he kept showing up. Well, he even showed up a pudding stone when we started racing there. Right. I mean, he'd come down here, but Hudson was still the god to me. 
Right. It didn't matter if I beat him. And that's what doesn't happen today. You know what I mean? Hudson still today, I wouldn't be fast if it wasn't for Hudson. Right. You know what I mean? He's still the god of downhill stand-up. Right. Without, I mean? without him, you wouldn't have had some of the chase and, and no. all the examples that he set. So, I mean, he kind of... You can race goats, and the second somebody brings a horse out, that's a good thing. Right. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's the fastest horse anymore. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so, even when he would show up, like we would, we would treat him like the kings in town. You know what I mean? Even though I beat him every single time, we'd treat him like the kings in town. You know what I mean? Because his, his seven years of being undefeated were not worth nothing. No. And yeah. so, so tell me about the, at the time, what, were, what was the tuck, the tuck standard like? Because like the hut tuck is something that we still know about. Right. The hut tuck was the tuck. Okay. So when I beat him, which is that picture up there, when I beat him in Laguna Seca, I knew I couldn't do the hut tuck because I'm too tall. Okay. The, the hut tuck only can be done when from your knee to your foot is that low. Right. Do you know what I mean? So his arms are like longer than they're supposed to be. Like his arms are probably longer than he is tall. So he was always low with these big long arms. And uh, I still today don't think that the hands curled around the butt are the fast way because I went in a wind tunnel for a long time with every hand position you could possibly think of. And up was the fastest by far. And I used to tape a, a truck bushing here. And just here, and I would game. line them up so that I knew my arms were perfectly straight. Uh. And it was just little pointers so I know going down the hill, everything's lined up. So it wasn't until uh, till it started getting big again, and Schroeder and, and all the Sector 9 guys, all the gravity guys, everybody started coming out, and they started all getting good. You know what I mean? That, that tuck right there, that shows you how I could line up. Because see that straight line behind me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's the helmet I came up with. Right. <clears throat> so then... Um, I decided I need to change my tuck because people are catching me. So that's when I did what they call a hickey tuck where it's a pole and a wing where I made this leg disappear behind this leg. But I had to learn how to ride all over again. So, so this is where the back leg started to be tucked in behind the front leg. Disappear. Yep. Okay. So I came out with it, I think, the first time in like the 94 season and just annihilated people. Like Okay, it. so so what happened between, between 1981, that's kind of when I... Okay, so that things kind of went underground. Right. So then, uh, then it happened again. So I would say '82, it started to go back underground again, and so I kept it going. Like, figure we had ten races a year. Um, That's pretty good. Sanctioned yeah. or outlaw? No, all legal. Oh wow! Yeah, so yeah. ten sanctioned races a year, all in. We probably California? had ten illegal and ten sanctioned. Okay. In in the Western United States. So, so that's pretty good. Yeah, and for I mean underground. We, by the time we got to, uh, so then I started getting burned out because so many people are complaining all the time. You know what I mean? Everybody's complaining. And, so and was they, this a points championship? Was yep, there a, okay. Yep. yep. And so uh, every five years, there's a new group of knuckleheads that are going to come in and kick my ass. And so when they don't kick my ass, they blame it on me because I'm holding the races, which I have nothing to do with because I always hired somebody to run the race so I could just race. Right. And you still have to win anyway. So I know. If I, you're I, having 20 races, you, you couldn't. No one could be good enough to stack 20 in I used to favor, just tell them you know? right to their face, it must suck to be you. Right. And so then uh, nar narcissism was like my number one psychological tool. But I was smart. I was, I was not narcissistic, so I knew how to use narcissistic as a tool. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I tell people, if you met Hickey, you probably met that guy. If you know Roger, I'd give you the shirt off my back and I'd, I'd do whatever you want. I'd help you. I'd give you wheels. I'll build you a board. But, but you, when it, you could make anybody hate you. Hate me. And that's so destructive. And I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, you know how many fights I got in with Biker? I fought Biker and four of his friends. 
and it's on video. Oh, man. Then came back out and he wanted to race for five grand and I, I waited till the crowd was there and passed him. That's on video. And, and Lee Dancy's going, holy crap, that was a schooling. Lee Dancy's going to be on the podcast in a couple weeks. Perfect. I will look forward to getting So make sure you ask him how he got out of the back of the police car. Okay, I'll ask him. Crying. <laughs> so, um, so then I would say 87, really, I started losing interest. So we still had maybe three or four races a year. I hated it. And then that's when, uh, like in 85, Bob Perea came out and invented Street Luge, which is a crack up because he invented it somehow a thousand years later. Right. And so uh, 86 or 87, Perry and I were at home and I saw on TV that they were filming these three guys going down the, the rock, what's that called? The, the rock store in Malibu down that uh, Canaan Doom or whatever that is. Yeah, um, it's uh, Mulholland. Mulholland. Mulholland Highway. Where the rock store the is. The snake. Yeah. Like the road, that the driving road. And so like, these guys invented a new blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> so I told Perry, I go, what are you doing tomorrow? He goes, taking off work. What are you doing? And I said, we're going to race these punks. And so we loaded up our leathers, loaded up everything. I had the Madrid number one leathers on. We go to the rock store. We go to the rock store and we say, hey, we saw these guys on TV. We want to interview them. Oh, that's Bob and his brother, Greg, and, and uh, Ken Kinney. And so they call them, right? They come down. And I go, hey, man, that's blah, 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 blah. So I said, uh, I go, man, that's so awesome. I can't believe you. So we liked it so much. We built some of our own board. Do you want to see him? And he goes, sure. So he came over and their board was like four feet long, right? Wood. Okay. And yeah. so he comes over and he sees these giant things in the back, right? Four wheels on the front, a little wing in the front, a little, no handles anywhere. Zero handles. I still don't race. You, you saw my luge board in Quebec. Right. There's nothing. You know what I mean? And you saw how loose it is. Mm -hmm. So. Um, he goes, oh, my God, that big thing's never going to get down here and blah, blah, blah. And Ken Kenny's just horrible, just the biggest prick you've ever met in your life. Conceited. And so Perry's looking at me like, oh, Jesus, they got to just quit talking. Or Roger's just going to school the cycle. Well, we want to ride with you guys. Okay. So then they call all their mountain people that come out of the woods. And, like, there was 20 mountain people and five teeth. And so they say, you know, we'll give you a ride up. That's all. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hey, wait, we got some motorcycle. We race motorcycles. They're skateboard letters. We just saw motorcycle letters. We pull them out. It's got a big two-foot-one on the back. Oh, you must be good on a motorcycle. Yeah, I do all right. So we go to the top. We're sitting there. We go, how do we start? And he goes, oh, we just push with their hands and go. Okay, well, you guys go. I'll just sit back here. I don't want to be in your way. So we take off. Third turn, I go by him at like Mach 10 in the dirt, rear wheel sliding, front wheels on the asphalt, just full Steve Kinzer sprint car around him, waving at him. I go by, Perry's sitting back there laughing, and then I slow down, and I go, I wave him back by. They go back by. Three turns later, why? Just go past him. I look back, I wave him back. I do this like 20 times until I'm just sick of it, and I just take off. So I get to the rock store, I do the full stand-up shoe smoke and stop, and all the toothless people are, what the hell happened? Where's Bob? Where's Greg? Where's King Kenny? And I go, I don't know, they're back up there. What happened? Did they crash? I go, no, I passed them like seven times. I got bored, so I just took off. No, they, they invented this sport. So they show up, right? King Kenny throwing a fit. Like, who the fuck do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, get away from me. I go, dude, we invented this sport like so many years ago. It's crazy. You know, I go, I didn't even invent lay down, but I invented the way to go down mountain roads. It's okay that you invented your own way, but you didn't invent the sport. It's sport was way before me. Yeah. I go, if anybody invented it, Sam Puggio invented it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you sat down on your Black Knight board and rode it right. down the hill. Like, right. <laughs> I raced go-karts, which are the same thing, just not a skateboard truck. Right. So 
I tell him, so then King Kenny leaves. Greg's really quiet, his brother, and Bob Perea is like, dude, he's really humble. Like, he was super nice. Man, how do you do, can you tell me what I could do to my board? And I go, sure. I go, you know what I would do? I'd take the trucks off. If Perry was here, he'd be laughing his ass off. You should interview Perry. So I, uh, I, I go, I would sand that thing down till it's so smooth, it's crazy. I go, then I would get some, like, clear and clear and then color sand it and clear and color sand and buff it all out till it's just so beautiful that you can put four legs on it and use it for a coffee table and ride one of these. Oh. And he's like, and Perry's like, <laughs> with the setup oh, too, because you know he was just like, no. He was hanging on every word, waiting for the Perry tips. knew it was coming because of the way that, <laughs> yeah. And so he's just like, what? Oh, and then his strange. brother just starts laughing. I go, look, man, I'll send you, I'll show you how to make one of these, right? So sure as hell, one year later, the rail board comes out with the handles. He, I'm now organizing, uh, I get hired by uh, the X Games of like 1990 to come up with this whole concept thing because they're thinking about this X Games thing in the future. So he's now the inventor of Street Luge and this rail board that you can buy and all this stuff and it has handles on it. And I'm like, that ain't going to work. So then I just, so he started his own races, the rail races or whatever they are, and we had our races. So, so Neil and Tom were just bent about this because they had those cherry bombs, you know, mm -hmm. th those things right there. And so uh, whoever these guys were, so, so Tom's like, gotta, gotta beat these guys. He goes, invite him to Glendora Mountain Road. So we invite him to Glendora Mountain Road, and there's probably about 40 to 50 guys that are going to race this race, right? Legal race. So we get there. Tom and Neil are with me. Perry's next to me, and they show up, and Ken Kenny's still being an asshole. And so I just said, dude, that's, this is race. We don't have to talk. And he hawks up a big loogie and spits right in my face. Whoa. Spits a loogie right above my right eye. And I put my hand on the back of Perry, reached over Perry and just started, I was just going to kill him right there. So Tom Peterson's holding me back. Neil's holding me back. Perry's holding me back. And I just want to murder this man. And so Tom goes, I got a thousand dollars. Says my boy here can kick your ass. So Tom Peterson pulls out a thousand dollars and goes, let's do this. And so we go up to the top. I just frigging annihilated him. I beat him by two minutes, which is like, oh, that's an eternity. Two miles. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a mile a minute at 60. So Maybe a mile and a half. I mean, it's just forever. Right. So I'd get down there, and I'd purposely pull everything off, and I'd just sit there in the guardrail and just wait for all the rest of the guys. So where, did you, where were you racing from? We'd race from the very, where it starts to go over. Yeah. So, so from the top, top, top. Top, top, top. And the way we do is we'd hold hands or so hold wrists. eight miles or something from there. I think it's eight and a half, 123 yeah. corners. We'd hold wrists, and we would uh, pace. And we had a line in the street. And so it's a proper, fair, rolling start. Right. And if somebody pulled off, we just grabbed them. Right. Like as it was, if it was going to matter after a hundred. But it was corners, a known fact. Don't don't mess around. Yeah. Right. So we started up there, and then just we were going to race five runs, the best of five runs. And by the fifth run, oh I was God, I was a marathon. GMR. I was killing. Well, and we started, we started. However, we finished. Oh. Okay. So by the last run, I was already at the finish. Oh, so you started with a two mile advantage, every run. Oh. Geez. So by the end, I was two miles from the finish when they started. Oh, so five runs combined time. Yep. Very and then cool. when we started having more races, we did 10 luge and five stand-up. And we did the combined time thing. Five stand-up. And 10 luge all in one day. Wow. So, you know, I was covering, shit, 130 miles. You that's, know? that's a marathon. But that's how yeah. you got to design wheels. I suppose. Yeah. Because they would last. You know, we start seeing the inside cone, we'd move the, we'd move the hub. We started seeing the outside come, we'd move the hub. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, 
annihilate them. So then they disappear. So then they start, uh, they start just talking all the shit. So then it just became ugly. So then it started, that's how it kind of died, is Bob Perea kind of killed the thing. So yes. Where were cherry bombs made at that time, anyway? I thought they were up north, somewhere like Ventura or something like that. I can't remember the guy's name. He's a total idiot. It's like not at a factory that still exists. Mm -mm. Okay. They, they're the worst wheel known to mankind. They're out around. They're horrible. But at that point, the Supermundos uh, weren't invented yet. It was like a transition where Tom wasn't Kryptonic yet anymore. Mm -hmm. So it was like from... 88 to 91 was just a very, it went back to almost underground. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like gangs, where skateboarding is today. Right, skateboarding right. right now is horrible. And uh, as far as the business goes, maybe longboard. Don't tell me. Yeah, maybe, well, I'm talking about like regular <laughs> skateboards. Longboards are okay, but I mean, they're still worse than they were. Right. You know when Sector 9 sells for like 6 million or whatever it right, sold. Nine people work there. Yeah, Dwindle just sold for 1.5 million. What? Yeah. They sold to Bravo. Holy hell! It's it's in hell. If I didn't, if Fresh Park Oof. didn't make for, for BMX, Moto, Scooter, uh, RC, we wouldn't survive. Right. You know, but we make all those. And so, uh, so then in '90, I decided, you know what? I'm bringing it back. And that's when I invented the the Eagle, so everybody could buy a badass street luge board. I came back with Super so Windows. What did, so, so what did a mass produced? Or I mean, I'm not say mass produced because they were probably pretty small batch, but what what did a commercially available complete street luge look like at that time? It looked just like that. Every, so it looked just like bodywork and everything. Everything. Wow. Six hundred bucks. Wow. With how the, many how many did you make? With the frame, uh, sixty. Okay. That's with, pretty good. Yeah, with the frame and no trucks and wheels. But it was drilled for you already. So you right. can mount whatever you want. And I would adjust the middle to your height. So like I made Pamela Zulalian one, uh Sean Mallard. You know, I built ones for my team. And this was in nineteen ninety one. Not, yeah, 90, I think 90. Okay. And uh, so then I got Pudding Stone so we could have five races a year at Pudding Stone. Then we'd do Old Waterman Canyon. <coughs> this was the points thing. Uh, I had like six tracks. So we went back to a 10 race a year, and I basically was funding everything. And, uh, and we built it back up again. And that's where gravity cars came in. So I invented those gravity cars. And then we had downhill bicycles. And then we had live bands. And I mean, pretty soon, Puddingston was like, it was crazy. We had night races where I rented lights and we brought generators in and put lights on the hill. It was just madness. And then all of a sudden, Marcus Freedom had drove one of our gravity cars through the crowd. Oh. And then disappeared. So this is where Marcus Freedom enters the scene. Mm -hmm. Well, he always raced before that. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't good, but he just right. raced. It was always Marcus. Right. So then he goes through the crowd. And uh, it's all on video. Uh, Discovery Channel's filming. They film and go right through the friggin' crowd. And so now I'm in a $20 million lawsuit. Marcus Friedman disappears. Doesn't help me whatsoever, even though he's the one that drove through the crowd. Yeah. And um, uh, the next time I hear about Marcus Friedman is I have a contract with uh, uh, the X Games. And him and Bob Perea, or Bob Perea on his own, is working behind my back to get rid of me. And so the X Games makes up a story that I stole $10,000 from them, which don't know how I would do that. How would I write a check? Whatever. And, but people believe what they want to believe. You know what I mean? Right. And then that Mark, was all an orchestrated yeah. smear. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I won the lawsuit only because in slow motion, we had a barrier that you couldn't, the crowd could not go above this part, right? And the crowd was beyond the barrier. And this group was above, beyond the barrier. And the guy that got hit, that broke his leg, had a 12-pack. Of alcohol and it said no alcohol in the park okay but that cost me like 
Right, it wasn't free to fifty-five thousand dollars of of money in '96. Yeah, so that was that was a pretty big hit. So that was out, organization. and I just let Perry take over with EDI, and Perry had that for one year, and then sold it to Biker. So so EDI began in '97. Yes. Okay, because there's this is the the piece of history that not a lot of folks know is that EDI began '97. Yeah. And Sean Mallard was the champion. I guess. But. But bikers sort of expunged. Wait, stand-up champion? Yeah. No, I was. You were. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was. Ah, so, so he must have been champion in '98 because I quit in '97. Okay, so maybe yeah. it's '99 that bikers sort of expunged the records to oh, make yeah. the EDI championship officially start in '99. Okay, so the first EDI race when Perry turned it over was uh, Elsinore, where Perry, where that's Perry, that's Dave Perry's board, right? Okay. There. So when Dave Perry died, that was the first EDI race. So at that race. In qualifying, biker would go up and get towed by a car because I qualified first. Get everything. towed in into the start. Yeah. How was that? How because did that... biker owned the organization? Okay, so so it was sold to biker very early on. Yeah. Uh, Perry didn't even make it a whole year. Wow. And he sold it. Did Perry at least get a good deal on it? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. I nor do I even care. He got so, something for it. Yeah, it? he got something. Yeah. And uh, so, so where bike? Where was biker in the mix before? this he was racing in all our races okay so when yeah, he, he was there when did he show up on the scene he showed up i would say in 2000 i'm sorry he showed up in probably 93 okay and he was amateur and then i think he might have won the amateur championship I'm, I'm i think he was good so he was around for a little while yeah yeah, yeah he was good but okay. it was always like the pot guy you know i mean he'd show up and everything was about pot right. selling bongs at the races and we're like you ain't gonna do this man so it just started off like good and evil you right. know what i mean and then when he went to Expert, which was in like, uh, this story, this story is really funny because the story is that Biker won his first pro race when he raced the fastest guy, which is me. Never happened. Biker, no one ever beat me. All the way to the day I quit. No one ever beat me in a stand-up board. I don't care what they say. They can't show where they beat me. They can't prove it. Right. Since, since the, the race where you broke your ankle. That's right. right. After that, it was just a walkover no for That's right. decades. Yeah. If you can't. Underground and pro, I won 314 in a row. And so over a 20-year span. So Damn. Biker said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's when the fight started. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm so over this. It's not even funny. And then, then Rita goes through the crowd. So it's all in the same year. Yeah. And I used to go to Biker and because uh, I knew it was all daddy's money. I hate talking like this because Biker's gone. But, I mean, it is but what it is. Would you have said the same thing if he was sitting right there? No, I would say a lot more. So, and so, so yeah. that's my point. You <laughs> yeah. Know? We, I believe that, because biker's going to come up a lot in this podcast, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be talking and a lot. And the biker history is so skewed, it's not even right. funny. And, I, and it's a shame that he won't be able to tell his side, because he deserves his own There's plenty vision. of video of him telling his side. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But I feel that it is totally fine that we can absolutely honor biker's memory, yeah. but we don't have to mince words about what he did and said biker and, was, and who he was. Biker was super fast, but the reason he won so many times is he banned anybody that could beat him. Right. And I was, everybody knows that. Yeah, I was banned from every X Games and every EDI race after I won. On, on what charges? Uh, I was a troublemaker and those trucks. Okay, so both of those things were not necessarily untrue, but maybe not grounds to keep you out of the race. Yeah, neither of them were. Well, after we got in a fight. So let me tell you the fight race. So Because okay. this, this is how shit went down in 96. So it's our championship. I'm, I've already got it locked up in stand-up so we're getting ready to go for practice and biker's walking through the pits and he's got darren kessing which i don't even have words for that guy 
just say Dregs is the perfect title for that team. Yeah. You know, every everybody except for Todd. I love Todd. And so uh um he's going through the pitch, yeah, fuck you hickey, blah blah blah. And I'm like, whatever, man. So to piss him off, I build my own bleachers. I manufacture, I fabricate my own bleachers. I get there a day early. I have So this I, is this is some of this trademark tactical narcissism. That's right. That's exactly what it is. Tactical narcissism. Yes, I love it. So I show up early. I pay these kids to set them up. I put banners around it. I have my pits right behind it. And you're only allowed to be in those bleachers if you're one, a hot chick wearing a hickey chick shirt, or you're on my team or on my group. <laughs> okay, so we have to pause, go back. What is a hickey chick shirt? So I made a clothing line called Hickey Chick. And when, did had, the, when did this start? It started in 94. Okay. And it became a thing where everybody wanted a hickey chick shirt, right? So I went through boxes of them. You know what I mean? I, to where I was selling them. They're tank tops. They're, and the hickey chick was like in lips and stuff like that. So, uh, so you had to be a hot chick wearing a hickey, hickey chick shirt or... Or in our group. Okay. Approved by me. Right. Part of, right? The, part of the school. And this was set up at the finish line. Okay. And it sat like 100 people. Wow. That's a, okay. It was massive, dude. Yeah, it was massive. Yeah, yeah. If you see in those pictures where they have all the people and there's bleachers back They're there. They're on your private Those bleachers. are my bleachers. Yeah. <laughs> and it said Team Hickey only. Right? Uh, so I made the THR. Which man, is, I should have came to you for, for consultation for this stuff long ago. Team Hickey Racing, you know, was THR. And then uh, True Racers Using t Technology by Hickey was Truth. So these were everywhere, right? So I had all these shirts, da, da, da. Well, then Megan, biker's girlfriend, comes up because she goes, can I get a hickey chick shirt? I'm like, you can get one, but you got to sit in those bleachers. She goes, all right. I'm like, oh, it can't get better. Because they were cute. They were great clothes. They were the chicks loved them. I designed clothes almost my whole life, so I knew what they liked. I was in anarchy everywhere else. Right, you had good quality material. You know, right. Yeah, it was a good shirt. Tank tops, hot chicks. So, so now Megan's in, the, in, the, in the, my pits. I mean, in my bleachers. So in now, a hickey chick shirt, Or in no a hickey less. chick shirt. Perry will tell you this. Oh, and no. So, like so said, then, it doesn't even matter. You have to believe ancient history, even if it's not true. Oh no, there's enough people to tell you this is exactly I, I, the truth. So, so now bikers just flipping out. So he comes up, and so you know he's shorter than me. He's like five nine. I'm six four. So I go, yeah. hey, I hear somebody yelling. Can somebody? I can't see anybody. He's, he's right in front of you. He's right here. <laughs> I go, I can't see anybody. Can somebody tell me? I smell something, but I can't see who's yelling at me. And everybody's like, oh. Oh, Jesus. He's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Make so I go, blah, 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 you know, and uh, I go, here's the deal, man. I'm sick of your shit. You got daddy's money. I have a little money. I'm going to write you a check for $5,000 right now. Forget the race. Forget practice. Forget qualifying. You write me a check for five grand. I write you a check for five grand. I waited until everybody was around because they thought there was going to be a fight. I go, one race. You and me, we go up to the top. Just the two of us. We race. First one to the bottom. First one to the bottom gets a check. Let's do it. You got so much shit to talk about. Let's do it. Your daddy will pay for it. And he hated being called Mike. Hated it. Or Michael. So I go, come on, Michael. You can do it. Biker. You know, and so I was like, whatever. I go, go write. I'm going to go write it. So I wrote him a check for five grand. I go, here you go. I said, I'm going to give it to Dwight. He's the Finnish guy. He's the announcer. So I give it to Dwight. Dwight's like, oh, I got the check for five grand from Roger Hickey. Now we're just waiting for Biker. Biker's like, fuck you. And so he goes, I'm going to practice first. So we go up, right? So then Biker uh, stops, turns around, writes a check for five grand, takes it to Dwight. And I'm like, it's so fucking on. Because I don't even go my fastest. I go, I go as fast as I can go. I don't want to go my fastest that they're going to chase that guy. I only go enough to win because they're going to chase that guy. You know what I mean? So I'm always trying to beat myself, not have them beat that guy. So I purposely don't go as fast as I can go. And so 
I'm like, I'm, I'm lighting a friggin' wick and I am going to embarrass this guy. So we go to the top. We're on the starting line. Everything's getting ready to go. And all of a sudden he goes, well, I'm not going to do it. Give me the radio. Say so radio's down to Dwight. This is not a five, five grand. I'm not doing it. He goes, what do you mean I'm doing it? I'm not doing it. Just rip up the check. I said, what's wrong, man? I go, you chicken? I go, it's fine. You can be afraid. You can't beat me. Nobody here can beat me. And all my friends know. Because at this point, you're like, I won 309 in a row. Well, and all my friends <laughs> know my tactic. It's not me. So they know I'm just being a clown. You know what I mean? So then all of a sudden, Brad Strandling comes over. Uh, George Orton comes over. Um, Todd Lear comes over. And Darren Kessing comes over. And they all line up on the starting line with me. Like five of them and me. I go, what's this? He goes, oh, you want to race, race our whole team. I'm like, really? I go, first of all, we're not racing if we're not racing for five grand. I'll go down the hill with you guys, but I'm not racing. Right. So Unless each one of you wants to ride out five grand, then we can do it. <laughs> so we take off, and uh, right off the bat, uh, George Orton's trying to put me in the dirt. So he gets in front of me like this, and I'm like, hey, hey, and I go, whoop, and I just push him in the dirt. <laughs> he goes flipping. So now I'm taking off after uh, um, Stradlin. <laughs> go past him. Now I'm taking off to, after... Uh, Todd, Todd just pulled away and I just went past him. So now I'm, I'm going past, I passed uh, Darren Kessing. I'm going to Biker and I'm drafting. I'm going to say, hey, I'm right on your ass, man. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till I get there to pass you. And I go, so I'm just going to stay here. And I'm going to go on your left just to let you know. I'm just talking to him, right? And so I go on his left, right? I get to here and he pushes me. And I go up on one foot like, holy shit. I don't even, I was on my back foot. Like, I don't even know what kept Whoa. me going. I'm, I'm balancing, and I finally get back on my board, and Darren Kesson comes by and punches me right in the back. And I almost fall off my board. So now I'm standing up. Well, everybody at the bottom doesn't know it's not for five grand, except for Dwight. They see Biker coming down like this, right? And Darren Kesson's behind him, and I'm back there standing up, right? This is on video. I think, I think Lee Dancy has this video. Coming down, and you see, them, see us coming down like that, and you see me point at Dwight and go like this. And so Dwight's like, oh, shit, I know what that is. Puts a microphone down. Because I was going slower, they go up, and they're high-fiving each other. And then all of a sudden, I come up, and you see me reach down and flip the board. And it's the only chip on the, on the rail. I flip the board, and I just start running. I run up, get up to him, and I take a swing, and he ducks like that. And so uh, I think I get him in a headlock, and then he's trying to hit me. And somehow, this is the crazy part, our helmets came off. Well, if we would have realized our helmets came off, he would still be alive because we'd know that the placement was wrong on the strap. So our helmets come off. We go in this ditch on the left, and all his friends are beating on me, and they're pulling my hair. I have long hair, and I'm just punching people. I'm, I'm just, I'm fighting. It's on film. It's on video. I'm fighting like four people. Then Dwight comes up and kicks somebody's elbow backwards, messes him up. Pretty soon, I'm bikers biting a hole through my leathers in my leg, literally through my leathers, and I'm just elbowing him in the back of the head. I had like a scar like this for probably three months. So I start calling him Biter after that. So then. I'm beating him, so then the fight stops. I start walking away, and I'm pulling my hair out. My head's bleeding, and bikers and his little buddies, all dregs are just mouthing off behind me, and I look at Dwight, I go, fuck it, let's do it again. He goes, let's do it again. So we turn around, and it's still on video. All of a sudden, we start walking back to him, and they take off running. We haven't even started the race yet. Like, this is practice. Oh, man. So then they have this big meeting. Now Perry's going to ban me from the race for starting a fight. I'm like, I didn't start the fight. It happened there. They started it up there. So I'm pleading for my life against my best friend to let me race. So then they decided, let's just race, and they're going to keep me and Biker away in the brackets somehow. 
So we get to the finals, biker and I. So I'm like, you better take a truck. So the other guys don't even want to race. They're like, forget it. So it's you guys. So now they have a truck with a video camera in the back of the truck to videotape what's going on. Because they said, you need a videotape because there's a blind spot in there you guys don't know about. Yeah. So then that's the, that's the next video where Lee Dancy goes, oh my God, that was a schooling because I just waited. I just sat behind him and I waited till everybody could see me in their cameras and they just went, and just took off. I mean, it was like I had a fifth gear and he was in second. Right. And then that was it. I went up and came back down. He was just, he was so pissed off. So then the next race is Elsinore. You know, or the next season was, yeah, the next race is Elsinore. First yeah. race of EDI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that was just a nightmare. I was, I was making, I was getting through the, through the gravity car thing and somehow we ran out of time. You get third, they hand me a trophy. I'm like, what do you mean I get third? I haven't even raced yet. Yeah, you guys are in the finals. Go up. I'm like, what? So there was this kid there and I go, you want this trophy? And he goes, yeah, I gave it to him. Here, you can have it. Really? I'm like, yeah, take it. Doesn't mean anything to me. Right. So then all of a sudden, street losers. I'm supposed to be in the finals. Nope, you get third. They give me. How do I get third? So I got third in all three. Magic. <laughs> Magic. Yeah. And then that was it. I was banned from everything after that. Huh. He let me back in in 2000, and I had to qualify. This is my last story in downhill. That's a good one. Well, Quebec is pretty good when you know the backstory. So, uh, 2000 in uh, Mammoth, they had a qualifier for the X Games because Biker was running it. And uh, so there was only two spots left. And so I told Perry and Bo, let's try it again. Let's just go up and pre-run that hill for like three days, see if we can do it all over again. So we went up there for three days. Perry was the fastest, which was crazy. So then we show up, the race is gonna happen. I have like a meltdown on the first qualifying run. I don't know what happened. I just like, did you ever have that where you're just like, I'm gonna die. And then you just, you have to stop and regroup. And then I just went back to normal again. I don't know what happened. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, it was just, like something just wasn't, I just wasn't comfortable, you know? And so I literally thought, this is, must be when you're done. But then all of a sudden I just took a practice run and I was back again. So anyway, I won every race, every heat race. And he kept putting George Orton in my heat races. I'm like, how do I keep beating him? And he keeps coming in my heat race. Well, I don't know. Better you than me. That's what he said. I'm like, what? I don't see him, right? But and this is when this tall dude from France, I can't remember his name. If you said it, I would remember his name. But he was like a fast dude. Uh, Tuna. Yeah. yeah. So, uh. Um, so he was there and Todd Lear and Biker and I were in the finals, right? So I said, Hey, and it was for two grand, I think. So I said, Hey, I go, so there's two spots, right? Available. And he goes, yeah, we're on the starting line. Right. And, uh, George Jordan's adjusting his trucks on the start. I'm like, why, why do you do this? You're just an idiot. So somehow he made it to the finals too, even though I beat him a hundred times. Right. He just kept advancing somehow. Cause he's the worst guy. He was the wrecking ball of the whole team. So. Yeah. Um, George Orton took me into a pine tree with the street loose. So I was out of that the first, run, the first, uh, run. So anyway, I said, so Manu, are you in? And he goes, yeah, I'm already in. I qualified at, uh, St. George. And I go, Todd, you in? Yeah, I'm already in. I qualified. At, I go, Biker, you in? Yeah, I'm in. Okay. All right. Peace out guys. I'm out of here. And he goes, what do you mean? Cause I already see, I saw what was going on. They're setting me up. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, my winning streak's alive if, alive if I just walk away right. and I'm already in. And he goes, you're not going to be in. I go, ah, oh, I'm in. Everybody knows I'm in. I said, I made it the farthest of the guys that aren't in. I'm in. And so he tried to keep me out. And I wrote uh, the Gravity Games people. Um, that's what it's the Gravity Games, not the yeah. X Games. I wrote them and said, I braced a qualifier. I did this, blah, 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 blah. And so they had to let me in. And that's when I went to the Gravity Games. And Biker put a board at the finish that I hit and broke my knee. Yep. It was me and Gary, me and Gary, uh, Gary Hardwick that teamed up together. 
and we were hauling ass, man. We were just killing it. And then I came down for my second qualifying run, and you came over this hill, and you couldn't see the finish, and there was hay bales. And I came down, and there was a board sitting right there, a drag's board. And I hit it, and I flew, and I hit my knee. Uh, it's still in two pieces. And cracked my knee in one of the hay bales, and I was out. Nobody said anything. Damn. Yeah. And then Gary Hardwick ki killed himself like three years later. Right. So at that point, how, so how many people were at a Gravity Games event? How many racers? Well, they only allowed like 40, you know. Right. There were, there, and there were a lot of politics involved in how. All you, biker. Right. Because yeah. I know like, I, you know, somebody I'm going to get on this for sure is uh, Rob McKendry. That I, I know that, that he's, uh, he was, would have been around at that time. But okay. he was uh, amateur. Okay. But it just kind of worked out that he never got to enough races to turn pro. Yeah. Even though he was fast enough, but yeah, it was yeah. just kind of convenient that yeah. the calendar always made it, so he just didn't quite make it. Yeah. Like, well, that kind of stuff seemed like it was And Hunter, you know time. Hunter, right? With no. uh With um, the balance board, where they go, indoor boards? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he ran all the bikers' races. And uh, so he would just do whatever biker told him. He'd disqualify you if he told, him, told you. Right, to. he was an employee. He's... Yeah, yeah. So biker, for some reason, always made it at the finals. Well, that Gravity Games... Uh, was the first time that they disqualified Biker because he took Lee Dancy out. Lee Dancy was faster than shit. Right, this, is, this video is iconic, right? Yeah, he took, to me Biker it. took him out. And uh, so it was like, come on, are you serious? Like, Roger already went to the hospital. You know, you taken, you took this guy out. And so they had to, they had to do it because it was on TV. And right, he, Biker plows him and then gets up faster, right? And mm -hmm. like Biker crosses the finish line, mm -hmm. you know, hands oh, up. Oh, Lee was in there. And he's, bales, right, right, he's in there unconscious or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee should have won that. Right. Yeah. But nobody was uh, outside the the wrath of Biker. Nobody. Right. You know I mean? And then, so at that point, so that, it, that you were sort of pushed out by politics. I was out completely. I wasn't even allowed to race. Right. Even Marcus Riedema wouldn't let me race. So Marcus Riedema then lets me race a same year, no, 99, lets me race a X Games qualifier in St. George. I... I think I got second on the street loose, so I'm in. And the stand-up, I got taken out by George Orton and went to the hospital. And that, if you could ever find that video, that video looks like I'm dead. It's so right. bad. And so... Uh, that hill's pretty meaty, too, actually. So the was, one that turns right, then it turns left? Across, I yeah. was driving from Colorado to California it's 10 fast. years ago with Rob McHenry. Yeah, it's fast. And I uh, blew a tire right near St. George. We were driving through the night, so we had to get a tire changed like at 5 in the morning. Yeah. But as soon as we got the tire on, Rob was like, hey, I remember the way to the hill. We should go check it out. And I, I skated that hill, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And it was still fairly it's severe. Fast. Yeah, it was fast. And it had chicanes with yeah. A-bales. You couldn't see shit. I wasn't good in chicanes at all. Like, I wasn't good in X Games type racing. You know, I was, these little things, I couldn't figure them out. You know what I mean? So would I, Unnatural ever, would I have ever won the X Games? I don't know. Maybe stand-up, maybe. You know what I mean? But I don't know about street luge. Um... But anyway, so I was in. I got second. Uh, I'm in. And then, like a week before the X Games, uh, what's his name? Uh, Readman says, oh, yeah, they won't let you in. So, sorry. I'm like, what? I still have, the, I still have the, uh, the tech inspection stickers in the years on, on those boards, on the one from there and the one from there. Huh. I'm like, what? The? I've known you since you were eight. Like, are you serious? And so that was it. So it was, it was Bob Perea, then Readman, then Biker, and just... Keep Hickey out. That's all there was. But you know, it, no matter what people believe, I I have my religion. I don't know, I don't know about religion, but I have my spiritual belief, and I always think that I'm so stubborn, and I want to see things so far to the end that I need God to kick me in the side of the head, and say, you know, you've had enough. You know, I've kind of blessed you enough. You need to do something else. 
And so I need to get to a place where I'm like, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. You took my whole life away for me to actually do all these other things I've done since then. Right. Or I'd still be one of these downhill guys thinking that you actually are somebody to be a downhill guy. Right. You know what I mean? So it was in the long run, it was a blessing, but it, oh, it was painful, man. I made all these products. I, I paid for all well, these you, you races. You poured your whole life into it for 20 whole plus life. years. Yeah. No question. Like Dave Hackett's always going, how are you not in the Hall of Fame? So the Hall of, like the Skateboarding Hall of Fame? Yeah. Oh, good question. Yeah. He goes, I mean, John Hudson, yeah, but I mean, you? Like you did it for 24 years. Right. I know. And, and you know, and I'd say that there are two. Look at just Fresh Park. I've probably created 6 million skateboarders. Yeah. No, We've no sold 450,000 pieces over 78 countries in 20 years. I've created some skateboarders. Absolutely. You know I mean? No, yeah. you're like, your influence on skateboarding as a whole is undeniable. But because I'm downhill, you're the high school band, so they don't take you serious. Yeah. You're Even not... though, you know, everybody loves to talk about it a little bit, you know, they love to go, you know, look at the 100th issue with Thrasher, it's got a downhill guy on it. And right. Like, but there are basically two iconic images of downhill from the 70s era, and yeah. it's it's that cover photo of Hudson, and it's, and it's that photo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, that's... and you know, it's funny. So when we went to Quebec... I went up and I sat. You don't even know this, but I'm going to tell you this. So I went up to the start and I told Jerry the story. And I sat down in that chair they had there. They had yeah. a little chair at the start. And I sat there and I just wanted to watch stand-up. I just wanted to breathe it in, right? I, went, didn't, I didn't need to talk to anybody, nothing. And so, uh, and I'd already watched you guys from the bottom. And so I came up and I just sat there. And some girl, um, she's like the fastest girl, whoever she is. If you said her name, I, I would. Emily Cross. Yeah. So yeah. she comes up and she goes, we fucking know who you are. You don't have to sit here. I go, well, that's, I'm flattered you know who I am. I have no clue who you are, and I'm just sitting here watching, so I don't know what the problem is. She goes, yeah, oh, yeah. You don't need us to recognize you. You don't need to sit here. Well, that's tremendous. I'm going to see her this weekend. I'll have to ask her about this. Oh, yeah, this. yeah. She'll probably <laughs> deny it, but. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. I, yeah. I love but, it. But anyway, so that's when I stood up, and I walked back, and you were like, you were like seventh in line, right? And that's when I said, hey, I go to the back. You're dragging the Remember when I told you this? I yeah, said, yeah. you're dragging the back just a little. Mm -hmm. I said, pull up on your back leg a little because everything else is perfect. And you go, oh, okay, cool, thanks. And then I, I went on my way, right? And Because uh, I know a little bit, you know what I mean? I can look at anybody oh, and make them faster. And yeah. so, so when I got back, I said, you know the greatest thing? I said, Zach and I, it, it, it's finally not... It was nothing weird. I go, I dug it. I dug who Zach was there. I dug everything about everything. I go, um, everybody there was treating me like total dog shit. I get out of the truck and, and Frank Williams goes, Hickey, your, your old shit ain't going to fly here. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I've been gone for 17 years and you can't just be quiet. Right. You know what I mean? I remember uh, that Adrian guy from wherever he's from, He, I think he won the last time, then Luge. And he yeah, go, he's from... He's super funny. Quebec, is he? No, he's like from France. No, from Switzerland, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, he goes, ah, oh, those fairings don't work. And I remember on Friday, or s Friday when I only went like 88 miles an hour, and he goes, I told you those don't work. I go, oh, that's funny. I thought it was over on Sunday. And uh, he goes, what do you mean? I go, dude, I haven't even touched the gas yet. I'm still scared to death. Right. I go, I'm dragging my feet halfway down the hill. And um, so remember when it rained uh, Friday afternoon? Yeah, yeah. Perry has a picture of me walking the whole hill in the rain while everybody else was partying up there. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I went down and I watched the water. And so I took junk. I found trash. And I took a Coke can first and I put it on a stick facing that way. And I, I texted myself, Coke can, stay right. Then I put paper plate, stay left. Right, you memorized all your markers. Right. Yeah. And so I memorized that. They were all still there on Saturday. 
And so I waited till the last run to just go, okay, just follow those. Because the wind, remember, was crazy then. It was right. just like a side wind. It wasn't like the last time with the tailwind. It's always brutal swirling. You know, yeah. It's all well, over the place. The it's sad part is that standard record will never be beat because you're never going to find a 22-mile-an-hour tailwind. Right. And you know But maybe that happens every three days at that hill. And Who if they knows? keep having that event. But at this point, too, uh, I'm actually I'm going to England in uh, two weeks. Actually, I'm going over there to work horses. Oh, nice. And uh, But I'm going to meet up with Pete Connolly. Well, you should, re you should interview Simon Gunning. In England? Yes. Oh, okay. He was the European downhill champion. Oh, okay. See, this, this is the information I'll, I need. I'll email you but him. I'm so uh, I'm such a Pete Connolly fan I, I, that I would be not disappointed one bit. He has he, my wheels. If he held the record forever. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think he has my five inches. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like him a lot. I liked everybody except for the Americans. And he put in so much effort for that event, too. Oh. I mean... The like the suit that he had made out of handbag leather that was like super stretchy and fit him perfectly and yeah. like had his bearings disassembled and polished by an aerospace manufacturer like yeah. properly. Well, that's what it takes. Anal st exactly. So everything matters. Right. He didn't. There was no part of his kit that he hadn't gone over. Well, perfectly. here's the here's the thing I've lived on my whole life. My grandfather told me this. So when I put the duct tape on my shoes, my shoelaces, and people go, "That's not going to happen. That's not going to help you." I used it that day, and I so when Hudson said, "That's not going to help you." I go, really, will it hurt me? And he goes, no. And I go, that has to help. I've been, I've been, the first, since the first time you said this to me, yeah. I've been saying it for years. Yeah. Anytime somebody looks at me doing any kind of little thing like that, that yeah, because every action has an equal and opposite right. reaction. Or it has not, a reaction at least. Right. Yeah. If it's not going to hurt you, it has to help. That's right. It's impossible not to. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why when people are nice to people, is it going to hurt you? No, then it has to help you. Yeah. You know I mean? I, my happiness in life is helping people. I mean, it's, it's, 30% of the reason I make money is to give it away. Do you know what I mean? It's been that way my whole life. Then there's the people that come in my life that are that 5% that are takers, not servers, and I'm just brutal on those people. Like, I, I'm the reaper. I'm the one that's going to teach them, like, not good, shouldn't be doing this. You know what I mean? Then, I, then I'm heartbroken over people like Sean Mallard and uh, just maybe Pamela, because it's like, and... Um, Jason Johnson, because they just forgot. Like, what? The pressure of the X Games turned you into, like, I now don't even recognize anybody that actually got me in this, and so I hate you now, too? Yeah. Like, what the hell? There's a lot of life lessons, man, and all that shit. I mean, well, especially when you get into, like, TV and money and. But that never so, changed me. I but, wanted but to bring my friends. But this is yeah. the thing that, like, I mean, I, I, you've been through enough of this stuff that, like, all that stuff is fake it's nothing it's fake you know I, I tell this to people sometimes it's like prize money's gone immediately but like the, look at a rose parade float but the trope but the trophies on your how beautiful is a rose parade float how long right that's all it is it's no different than a rose parade float looked awesome that day but i can tell you the rose parade floats of last year won't even participate this year right do you know what i mean and that's all it is you're just you're just a circus bear for a day you know, I mean, it's like, don't take it more than that. If you can parlay that into something, and that's what my thing always was, is like that car, parlaying hickey speed now into other things. Right, so yeah. so this is something that, like, you know, I think I've, I've always identified with you quite a bit, just because I think of your personality. Oh, you parlay a lot. And, and that, yeah. so tell me, when you got out of downhill racing, or, you know, were forced out of downhill racing, yeah. You know, I remember a few years ago, maybe this is maybe six or seven years ago, I think I was trying to get you to come out and ride at a Mariel free ride or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And and you told me something to the effect of like if you know, it's not a good idea because if you're going, you're trying to win and yeah. you're not prepared and you you, you don't want to get hurt. 
you know, if you're going to go and not, I didn't want to get hurt by idiots. Right, right. Yeah. So if you're not going, but if so, if you're not going to play the whole game, don't even bother. That's right. And so, I, 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 at that time, I didn't understand it at all. Right. But I completely understand it now. Yeah. That you know, I'm still racing for yeah. sure, and yeah. and I'm still competitive, so I'm still. It's not trying. chicken. It's smart. Right. Yeah. But I would say, you know, I've gotten some criticism for this over the years that I've told people that when I get to the point where I'm not competitive anymore, I'll stop. Why wouldn't you? Right, you'll find me coaching. Aren't there other things you want to be competitive in? Crew chiefing, yeah. or I'll be a steward. You know, I definitely have ambition to be an IDF steward, where I've been on both sides of any kind of racing dispute, and I'll be able to actually look at what happened in a race. And no matter what the riders are telling me, I'll IDF's be able to go. IDF's a whole different story for me. Right, but I'll be able to go. Ah, I know what actually happened here. You yeah, did yeah. this, and you did this. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. That's and, a and perfect that's role where, where I can bring value to right. it. Where as a competitor, maybe I can't. Anymore. And you want them to fear you. Right. Yeah. But if I'm not going to be pushing it and trying to be the best I can be and, and coming to the race with all my tools, well, it's time for me but to you know what I call be that? relegated. You're no longer dressed for the crash. Yeah. That's okay. what I call that. And so when we started this conversation about crashing, right? Yeah. I tell people dress for the crash. That doesn't mean dress. That means envision it. The reason I don't ride street loose with those handles. Can't get out. Right. Well, I mean, I know so uh, somebody who will probably end up on this podcast at some point is uh, Gib Lewis. Yeah. You know, he's... I know Gib. Yeah. Right. So he lives in Breckenridge. I rode slalom with him for a yeah, long yeah. time. And, you know, he told me a story about riding GMR with somebody who had luge handles that kind of went up and over their legs. Yeah, like it was it Kurt... Was, uh, it was uh, Kurt... Um, Kurt Corbin? I think so. Yeah. And but it was, not, and a, it was also a 100-pound board. Right. Went off the road. Ripped his nuts in you know, Right. Into a culvert and, like, you know, split him up the middle. Yeah. yeah they had to helicopter him out. Right. He almost died. He was green. So he was not dressed for the crash. Wasn't dressed for the crash. Yeah. And so, so and this is interesting perspective because I would have, based on, you know, the lore of, about your racing, especially in the earlier days of, you know, your tube, cut off tube socks and yeah, yeah. all that, I would have always thought that you would have been like, build it for speed and make it as safe as necessary. But it's right. interesting that especially now with this race, you it's know, race the, car project. It's the process of a crash. When I say dress for the crash, mm-hmm. it, I can go down naked people that, the, the General layman's would say, you're not dressed for the crash. I'm not talking about dressing. I'm talking about, I know the mechanics and what can happen. Will I die? No, I'll lose a lot of skin, but I won't die. Right. Do you know what I mean? So when it's no longer, when the juice is no longer worth the squeeze, why would you keep doing it? Right. Yeah. You got too much going for you to have some bonehead that says, I'm going to beat him. He's somebody. I'm going to beat him. And he puts you into a pole or a guardrail. Right. I got a really? lot of things I want to do in my life. Yeah, you want to be paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not in, that's not in the cards. Right. You know what I mean? And then you're the guy. Your ego is dangerous for me. Right. So I can't dress for the crash with that guy around. And yeah. at this point, you know, I absolutely, when I go to events, I'm a huge race fan. I oh. absolutely have, have up-and-comers, so I like watching. Dude, I want to race everything. I race my Can-Am. I race my right. motorcycle. I still race. My brother, you would crack up. Because when we race desert, if I'm going to go around somebody and they just kind of let me go, no big deal. I move over, I wave. If I go around somebody and they're like holding me up, I have this thing called shake and bake where I get in front of them and as soon as my rear tire is about the same level as their head, I downshift one, wiggle it, and Ugh. just I annihilate them. Like I literally <laughs> bury them. And my brother's like, dude, that's just not even right. I go, it's just me, man. I go, Anybody could do it. I would never, if somebody's got to pass me, I literally wave them by. Go ahead. I'm not going to contest you. We got 4,000 miles to go. Right. You know what I mean? But when that guy's ego, it wants to hurt me, make, I'm making sure he's not coming back to me. Right. You know what I mean? I treat him just like I treat a biker. I'm making sure that you are not even going to have a chance to get to me. 
you know. So, and I think this is probably something that gave you some success early on. Like I see this with all the other stuff that you do. That so everything matters. Everything. So where did you start tuning your downhill board, and where did it kind of end up? So when you started, you made your water ski, and then you got a concave board, and then you got a concave board that was The concave hit. board's where it started. And then, so at that point... Those what, trucks are the trucks I rode at Laguna Seca. Okay, and those are trackers? Yeah. Way, uh, flat in the front, D-wedge in the back. Yep, and the front's machined. I machined the web off. Okay. Yeah. For aerodynamics. I'm actually the only tracker rider in the independent book. Huh. Because I beat Hudson. Right. You're yeah. in the photo, of course. Yeah. So, so did you machine the webbing off for? Yeah, I put it in a melt. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, because so, every square inch of face of front facing air, like direct facing force, every square inch at I think it's sixty miles an hour is like eleven point two pounds of pressure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and it goes up. So add that up. That's four speed. square inches. Doesn't like, mean I made this thing a few years ago for the Angie's curve. That's why I made that helmet. That right. helmet. We'll the, people that. don't even know that's my helmet. I know. We'll talk about that in a minute. They think it's Jarrett's. Right. So at the Angie's Curves race, which had a slide at 67 miles an hour, I made a, a spine that went on the bottom of my board yeah. that went pretty much all the way to the ground. Yeah, perfect. It was just carbon fiber. It's perfect. So when I slid. Right. No. Sprint car logic. And Why do you think the side plates on a, on a World of Outlaws sprint car right. is so Everybody big? said to me, you know, come on, how much is it really going to do? I said, it's got about the, same area. It's about the same area as a clipboard. Yeah. So take clipboard and hold it out your car yeah, window at 60 miles an hour. It was, Unless there's a crosswind, but it's brilliant. Right. Well, yeah. you're in like hay bales this high, so yeah, yeah, you're fine. Crosswind. Yeah. But it had real braking power that of didn't have to come from my wheels. Of course. And it, it made a huge difference. It's it's brilliant. Plus, it looked even tough if I was, put my sponsors even on. Even if I was your age and you're, I was racing, I'd be like, that is so damn smart. Right. I mean, I loved when people thought crazy stuff. Right. You know what I mean, see that hole in the front of that luge board? Yeah. It goes through a tube and it empties out behind my head. So all of a sudden, they couldn't draft off me anymore. I took the air right, from the front. recycled some frontal air. And well, there's some cheating in that board, too. So, uh, well, it's not cheating if you're the only game in town for making street luges. You can kind of make the rules no, yourself. Th there was a lot of people making street luges. Okay. Biker made them. Uh, Bob Perea made them. Um, the Rogers brothers made them. I mean, there was a lot of street luges. So <laughs> for one <coughs> outlaw race we were going to have at the dump road, Dombo May and I were playing around with uh, ramjets. And so I put a coil, a heater coil, inside that tube in there, and that Allen bolt would go in and short out six uh, nine volts into that heater core, and it would produce like five pounds of thrust because huh. the air would come in and it'd heat it up and it'd go out the back. Mm -hmm. And so I could go next to somebody and press the thing and it go. Wait, and five pounds of thrust isn't a lot. It is, but when, it's a when lot. You're equal, when equal, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so gravity people are like, "What's going on?" Right. I never told you. It's still in there. Huh, that's tremendous. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So, so you, so you machined your trackers, mm -hmm. and then what came next? So, like, at what point did you start going to this? From tracker to that. Okay, so so what, what happened year is did you make so so Z rollers came out. Okay, so I tried the Z rollers. They made a great back truck, horrible front truck because of the leading axle. Yeah, you know what I mean, it, it amplifies anything. For a crazy amount of rake. It, and it just amplifies, you know what I mean? So anytime you lead a kingpin, that's why I don't understand the reverse kingpin trucks, but anytime you lead a kingpin, it amplifies. If it's a quarter inch at the kingpin, it's a half inch in the front. Right, so the reason why it works for us and the setups, you have to check out the board I have in my car. Yeah. Because the front truck geometry and rear truck geometry are different, and we want the front truck geometry to be amplified right. so that you get finer gradations of Right, of and turn. I did, I did but too, but rear, I did it with rear. Right, so in the rear... Uh, my truck is trailing link. Right, it's, it's perfect. It's behind the kingpin. Right, but that was a Z-roller, was yeah. trailing. So then uh, Randall's came out, 
And then Randall was selling the hell out of them, and I didn't like him, so I went back to track. So were these Randall downhills at that the, point? The live axle. Oh, okay, so the loose sharks came first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the Randalls came out, and uh, I thought the Randall downhills came from Gravity when he bought Randall, right? No, no, that was uh, much later. Okay, Gravity, so, Gravity bought Randall in like 2008. Okay, so Randalls came out, and um, I asked him if I could get a set to try out, and he's like, no, you got to buy them like everybody else. Okay, so I made those. Right. And so we went to the trade show. Jerry Madrid showed those for me at the trade show at ASR. And Randall was down there. So I go down there and Randall's giving his big speech to everybody. And he's spinning the wheel. And he spins it. And he goes, see how the other side's spinning? And I go, until you do this. And I reach in and I pulled this wheel and it pinched this one and stopped it. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, that doesn't happen. I go, really? Because if I turn and I got 220 pounds and the board's 50 pounds and I'm turning, that's probably another times two. At least. Yeah, I go... Really? Because I'm only pulling like 20. He goes, well, they all do that. I go, uh-uh. And I pulled mine out right in his booth. And I go, go ahead, pull the other truck. I mean, the other axle, and he pulled it nothing. So I came out with a twin live axle. Right. And it makes a lot of sense, too. So Those trucks are so fast. Listeners, you can't see these trucks, but it's a, a standard kingpin geometry. And it has live axles like a Randall loose truck, but it's two separate live axles. And, so a, and can, a heim joint as the pivot. Right. So a spherical bearing type pivot. And the... Each axle has two bearings inside the hanger. Yep. So you're spreading your side load so out. So there's over, eight ceramics in one hanger. Right. So you're spreading your side load out over double the bearings that you would on a normal truck, but the inside wheel and outside wheel can rotate at different speeds and not affect right. each other. Yep. So it's it's really zero drag. It is the ultimate engineering expression of what we should be riding. Billet before anyone ever even thought of billet. Right. Right. And these are precision trucks. So yeah. arguably the first precision trucks ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so I built uh, 40 sets of those. That's why they're numbered. And um, like Bo has a set on his desk. There's sets around. And I sold them for 300 bucks a set. There's pretty, like, even if you adjust for inflation, it's, it's what, pretty competitive. It's what today. I paid. That's, oh, wow. So, okay. It, I didn't make a dime. I just mm -hmm. wanted to flood the market with those trucks. Right. And when you rode them, they were like an Indy car. They almost turned flat. It was crazy how good they were. And then I just started. I, I think I qualified. The first run, I qualified four and a half seconds faster than my trackers at Pudding Stone. Wow. It's like a day. Yeah, I'm sure something else that was going on there, too, is trackers, they were bent out of the mold. Yeah. So no matter what, just going from that to a straight axle right. would have been a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we used to pop our axle out okay, of, of the trackers because Larry would give us a whole stack of straight axles. Right. You know, Larry, I'm loyal to Larry forever. You know, but that's a tracker. That's... All the tracker geometry. Right. So that's just a full track, exact kingpin placement and everything else. And I used the heim joint so that you wouldn't get any wobble out of the urethane cup. Mm -hmm. No and, deflection. And it was just amazing. Oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, George Orton tightened the jam nut too tight. Ugh. And it stretched it and broke it. And he crashed it. He was like, it broke, it broke. So the biker goes, I'm banning those trucks. They broke I'm like, he broke it. Sounds convenient. Yeah. So that was it. Flat in the front, wedge to the back. What are the bushings? Uh, oh, tractor. Simulators. Yep. Yep. Cool. So, and then that was, that. so this was kind of your final iteration. Mm -hmm. And so then, so. That's what I rode at uh, Quebec. Yeah, yeah. Those were on the board, yeah. Yep. Same trucks. 100 miles an hour. And I made those in uh, 1989, maybe? Okay. They're old. So, when did this helmet come into being? So the helmet I'm pointing to, listeners, is what most of you would know as a dot go fast, but it's not. It's the first one. 
Right. And I gave him the mold. Right. And you find pictures. There aren't a lot of pictures of this helmet, but... Right there. Right. The, like, not a lot of pictures that you'd be able to find on the internet, but this photo that's on the wall here was in an issue of Concrete Wave yeah. with, like, uh, I don't know what the article was even about, but, like, a really brief caption about the alternative Olympics. Right. So, so what, what were the alternative <laughs> Olympics? There's a lot, a lot of talk about downhill in the Olympics right now. Okay. So, the IOC, uh, the people in Spain and France... Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Gianna Luca Luca. Gianna Luca? Yeah, Gianna Luca in Italy was like the mayor or something at Gen Genova. And uh, so he and, and the IOC put together the Alternative Olympics. Now, what happened was before that, it was uh, um, exhibition sports. Now, you notice you okay. never see exhibition sports anymore. Right. Right. So, so what no, happened was no after synchronized way. swimming, everybody got so pissed off. They couldn't do exhibition sports anymore, even though they kept synchronized swimming. So they, they noticed that action sports was becoming big. So they picked 15 sports to follow Barcelona, the yeah. real Olympics, right? But it's still the IOC. Still the... Right, so it's got proper five rings on it. It's, or whatever. It, yeah. yeah, we're in front of the flag. Seven rings. Closing, uh, whatever. Five. Yeah, five. So... Uh, so everything's the same. Closing, opening ceremony, closing ceremony. I mean, amazing. This is where I met Getzmer. I mean, Dan Getzmer. Okay. And so, uh, um, so they, some French guy calls me out of the blue in 92 during the Olympics and says, we're having another Olympics in between so we can pick new sports to go in the Olympics, but it's still the Olympics. And I go, that makes no sense. And I go, is, is ESPN covering? No. Ah. And I hang up, right? I was married. Pass. I live in it. I live in. I passed. I was living in uh, Lake Forest with my wife. I was fat, and uh, so I hadn't ridden in a while. And so then, um, so and I was burned out. All these assholes, right? right? So they call. So then another French guy comes back. This is Juan Samarage, which is like the president of the IOC, the president of the Olympics, calls my house. Uh, Long distance. Long distance, right? And he says, uh, "My wife says there's some French guy on the phone." So I answer the phone. And he goes. We're trying to have a downhill in the Olympics, and uh, everybody we say to come from the other country say, if Roger Hickey's not racing, we're, we're not going to come. So can you please come? We'll, we'll pay your flight. And I go, can you just send me? And, and there was no internet yet either. Internet started like in 93, right. right? So I go, can you mail me like what it is? So he mailed, I still have it somewhere. He mailed me an invitation. Olympic rings, IOC. Like, it's the real thing. His signature, I'm like, can this be true? So I tell Perry, you want to do it? Yeah, I don't want to do it. I'm sick of this bullshit. So then uh, I tell, uh, and we're just doing pudding stone and stuff like right. that. So then I tell Bo. Bo goes, yeah, I want to do it. So I tell Paul Dunn. Paul Dunn wants to do it. So then John Gilmore gets in. We don't know how. We don't even know John Gilmore. And so he gets in somehow by kissing somebody's ass. And so he, John Gilmore ends up meeting us over there. And we go there. And I took 15 hyper bags full of vans and wheels and the typical american thing i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna uh i've told you the story right i know no so i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna be the typical american i'm just gonna rake it in i'm gonna sell vans for 100 bucks a pair i'm gonna sell wheels i'm just gonna capitalize you know what i mean so i get there i think i weighed like 260 oh and, wow uh, yeah and but i never i was tall so i didn't right, I'm you're just, six four like, i'm just you wouldn't big. have been you wouldn't have been fat a speed just... suit and all that shit so yeah. i show up well that helmet was made for that race so we spent six months before that race. Don Beaumet, uh Jarrett worked for me at my race shop, shaping stuff and yeah. fiberglassing, and me. 
And uh, so we worked on that helmet that whole time just for that race. And I took my flyaway. We went there. We get off the plane. I had to pay somebody to get all my bags. There were so many bags. And I remember in my brain, I was like, sure, I'm world champion. I was the most conceited. I was not the, a right person, I can Th tell you This that. was no longer tactical narcissism. I just wasn't a good person. Okay. You know what I mean? This was just regular garden variety narcissism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the uncurable one. And so okay. I... Uh, so in the stipulation of us coming over there, we have to have our own condo. We're not staying in the youth hostel. Yeah. Right? Well, typical Americans. We're the only ones that get one now. So we're right. in the... Everybody else is content. We're in the base of the Pyrenees in St. Laurie Salon, and we have our own three-bedroom condo. So we get there, starving to death. And he goes, oh, we, we can, you, can go to, uh, you can go to breakfast. We can do this another time. No, no, no. Okay. I'm good. I'm just We can go sure. to breakfast if you want. Uh, the, the breakfast hall's down there. So we go down there, and we skate down there, and... We're still like, eh, we're fucking USA. And our, our team shirt was me, a picture of me on it with a flag because nobody here would sponsor us. They didn't believe it. Right. So we got Levi's to give us Levi's and we made, and we made these shirts. I think Jerry helped pay for them. <coughs> I don't so even know. They're like, cool shirts. Oh, and we would go to the swap meet to raise money. So you're like, you're just like Bruce Springsteen with, but with your own face on your shirt. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we go there and uh, it's huge. It seats like 400 people. You know, these, and I'm like, I go, guys, this, I think this is real. I go, I think this is a real thing. I the know. The whole time you're going over there, you're like, we, co we cobbled this together, you know. We're yeah, it's a free trip to France, right? Yeah. We're like, those are Olympic rings. That torch is not lit, but those are Olympic rings. So then we go and uh, we eat. And so Paul goes, I know, uh, I know French. I'm going to order us some butter for the pancakes. Well, he orders beer. Well, we have to be drug tested. So oh. then we're like, really? I can see the headline tomorrow. The Americans arrive and they're drinking warm beer with their pancakes. Right. And so we didn't drink it. And we were laughing and stuff. We're conning around. So then we leave. And then, uh, oh, no, we didn't leave yet. So then all of us, oh, back it up one second. So when we get to the airport and we have all these bags, I notice this guy walking away. And I'm probably going to mess up his name. I think it's Anatoly Mastovich, I think is his name. Dan Getzmer knows better. So he's walking away and he has a, a pillowcase with a U.S. SR flag drawn on it. And this is right when the USSR disbanded. Right, like one year earlier. Right, so yeah. there's poverty and craziness. Yeah. And he has this written on it with a marker, right? And, I'm, and I see a black knight oak board inside the, the pillowcase. So I tell Bo, look at that. Yeah, this ain't the Olympics. If that's our competitors, are you kidding me? And I'm total, a total asshole about this. Now you only know you're an asshole when you're not an asshole. That's the only time you recognize that you were an asshole. So, so now we get to the food place. We're eating. We're clowning around. We're going, na, 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 na. Hey, 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 goodbye. We're just right. throwing grapes. We're just being idiots. And uh, because we're used to being idiots. We're Americans. So then <laughs> all of a sudden, this guy comes up behind me, right? And the guy, and Bo looks up really tall behind me. And I turn around, and there's this six-foot-six dude standing behind me. And his name is uh, Andre Sidler. And he, he's in this pink, purple, and white Swiss suit, like track suit. And he goes, are you Roger Hickey? And I go, yeah. He goes, I've practiced for three years to beat you, and I will beat you. And I'm like, is this Rocky? Like, we were laughing, right? Wow, I looked like for real. It was for real. I look back at Bo, and I go, dude, we should have practiced. And we're like <laughs> laughing and shit, right? And he, he leaves. So then that guy with the pillowcase comes down, and I can feel him right here. And I say, can I help you? And he goes, are, are you Roger Hickey? And I go, yeah. And he goes, could I get a, and I go, a signature? I go, sure. And I remember in my head, still to this minute, I remember in my head, of course. Of course he wants my signature. Like, I just remember that was my attitude. He reaches in his pocket. 
and he pulls out that picture and it's folded up and it's from 1981 and it's got grid lines in it because he's he's folded it and unfolded it's, it so it's many, in his wallet so yeah. many times he pulls it out and he goes could you sign this in uh, in whatever russian accent he had and i go and it was like god dalai lama every form of spiritual higher power came down and punched me in the face so hard it wasn't even funny and i remember it was a pause in my life that i've never had in my entire life before or after and i looked at it and i go how long have you had this and he goes oh since magazine come out i knew someday i would meet you and like 10 years of my life flashed before me of being an asshole and i thought oh my god i was making fun of this guy like so i sign it and i go I go, are you riding that Oak Knight board? He goes, yeah. I go, you're hanging with us. And he was starving to death because all he had was bread. They had, right. I mean, he, he was like, starving to death. He like took a overcrowded train there from the Soviet Union. So we went and got him desserts and we got him all this because you're only allowed to go through twice or something yeah. like that. So we just loaded up for him. So I go, you're staying with us in our condo. No, 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 I can't. I go, you are. And so then the next morning it was like three in the morning it was raining. So I get him. I go, come on, we're going to go practice. And we built him a board. We built him my only other board I had. My backup board, I built it for him. And he fit Paul's tennis shoes. Oh, no, he fit Paul's speed suit. We gave him back Paul's backup speed suit. He fit Bo's tennis shoes. We gave him Bo's tennis shoes. We literally just, everything. I went you up made to him the, like a pro American racing rag. Doll. I went up to the hill and I practiced with him. Yeah. Because I said, I just want you to make it through qualifying. And when he made it through qualifying, he was bawling, just bawling. And so I literally spent the whole day just helping people. And from that moment that was unfolded, I've never been the same since. He like he showed you a picture of, of who he, of who he wanted you to be. I was never the same since. It wow. literally changed my entire life from taking to serving in that one second and a half. Wow! I, I never took again after that. I served for the rest of my life up till now. To, since that moment, it was that. So it wasn't that gold medal hanging over there that I love so much. You know what I mean? Uh, but it was that moment that changed my whole life. And the reason that's not in a case is because people like to touch it. But everybody, all oh no, there's no Olympic downhill medal. Nobody, it wasn't the Olympics. I'm like, I was there, man. I was Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was there. Right. Like, I laughed at people. I don't know if that makes them feel good or what, but it's like, dude, I won this race. I won, you know? Right. I mean, that's just it. Uh, I had a great coach in my early racing. I mean, it's still to this day. Uh, Chris Pappas. Who's a snowboard? Yeah, I know he is. Right, so yeah. he lives in Boulder still. Okay, yeah, and he he came out and drove shuttle at our race this year. Yeah, good guy. But that he said to me early on in my racing career, he said, you know, lots of people are going to come and go, and that ninety percent of success is just showing up. Yeah, and that if you don't come to the race, you don't get to have a result. So, well, John Gilmar, so make sure you go. So we had two runs because it, it started to rain during the second run. Mm -hmm. So on the second run, and what was the hill? Where where was it? It was coming down the Pyrenees into the town. Do you know what? It was mellow. Okay, but what, and what was the town? St. Louis Salon. Okay. Yeah, so. Uh, and where was this photo taken? On that the was where we practiced. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so then we thought, we might as well stage some cool photos. So we'd come around and shoot mm -hmm. a photo, then come around and shoot yeah. a photo. So, um, but we practiced down that hill. Because I think I've seen, like, I saw, like, a YouTube video of this a long time ago. It's, like, pretty straight. Not hard at all. Yeah. Yeah, but technical. Yeah. Because it had some turns, mm -hmm. and it had, like, a cobblestone you had to go through. And all this stuff. So anyway, two days before, John Gilmore gets in our condo and steals all our wheels and starts selling them to the Germans and everybody else. So we kick him out. So he's off the team. Like, where are you, you an asshole? So now we're riding all our old, old wheels. Ugh. Yeah. It's still to this day, we're like, you're an 
came all the way to France. Communist piece of crap. So anyway, the first run, I thought back to Hudson. I'm like, I better, I can't mess around. I'm going to set down a blistering pass the first run. And it, it was the best of two runs, but you're by yourself. Right. So I took off, blistering run, uh, was f fastest run. We go back up, and uh, now Paul and Bo are going to take a fast run. So now Paul takes a run. Bo takes a run. Bo's in second. Then it goes through a bunch of people. Uh, it wasn't to Andre Sidler, Sidler yet. He was in second. Bo was in third. That's what it was. And him and I hadn't, we were running last. They ran, they inverted, right? Mm -hmm. So then Paul ran. So now it's me, uh, it's me, Paul, Bo. So we're Americans, one, two, three. John Gilmore's like seventh, right? John Gilmore takes a run, gets ahead of Paul. So now he's second. It's only him and I left, and it starts pouring. And so uh, because he's not in, and because John Gilmore's second, and John Gilmore selling all those wheels to the Germans and the Swiss and everybody else. They vote to go back to the first run. So Paul and Bo are out. They don't get a medal. But because I did the blistering first run, I got the gold medal. So, so, so this is something you, were, you said earlier about that you would go deliberately slowly when, when other guys were around. Yeah. Because you didn't want to show what, what you were working well, on. Well, you're only going to practice against what you just raced. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Especially when it comes down to time. So this is something that... I mean, I kind of got onto this a few years ago that I, I would say to people, because I wouldn't take a, a mellow run ever. I, I haven't taken a mellow run in probably five years. Yeah. That I, I tell people, going, going slowly is a learned behavior. Yeah, no, practicing, I would go faster than that race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all my, you don't break 61 bones and have enough stitches to make a quilt and still win. Those are all in practice. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't crash racing. Right, 90% of, 90, 90% of success is showing up. You have to show up for the final, so. That guy might just fall and you win. Right. Yeah, that didn't happen there. But so basically, John Gilmore kind of somewhat cheated his way in. And uh, be, because, oh, that's what it was. John Gilmore was second the first run. That's what happened. Oh, so he wanted it to be That's off. right, that's right. Because Bo and Paul beat him bad. And so they were second and third. And so, uh, and and he had already made a run and something, some politics, politician political thing oh he made a run he was in third that's exactly what it was sorry so it was me john gilmore and him and i hadn't made a run i'm the only one that hasn't made it a run and so i should have the vote right you know what i mean mm -hmm. no one else should have the vote everybody else got two runs and so we protested like a million times i should get the vote you know and i say go with it get the second run i'll forfeit my second run or i'll run in the rain whatever you want i'm already win. i already won right I'll run down in the rain. You know what I mean? Isn't it up to me? To take a run, yeah. Yeah, so it didn't happen. Huh. So John Gilmore would have never got the silver medal. It would have been Paul and Bo. We would have been one, two, three. Man. I know. It sucked. It, I hated it for them. So, and now, I mean, it's been since then that now, just in recent years, talk of downhill with IOC sort of... Except for they're not in this one, and I laughed at all these people who keep saying they are. Well, so, it, they, they did happened sort of similar circumstances it wasn't official olympics but the world roller games i saw that you know that was seven people in the crowd yeah yeah it was yeah. horrible i'm like couldn't you just pay people to show up i know the crowd we went down happen. was lined you know and and at first i was really i Did really you go wanted, there? no i really wanted to be a part of it when i first you heard probably about it good at that race but when they showed the track yeah 
And uh, you know, nobody was getting their travel paid for for this one. It was a stadium track. Right, when I saw the track, I, I call like, stadium tracks little short courses. I was like, I'm. It's pudding stone. I'm not putting my effort into going to this. You it's know? basically pudding stone. But if they had been, you know, if they'd been paying people's way, I would have fought tooth and nail to be on the team. Right. But well, I had people hit me up, Mike Max Caps and uh, Ryan Farmer and all yeah. these people. Hey, do you want to sponsor me for the United States? I go, no. Why would I want to sponsor you? I go, what am I going to get out of it? Right. I said, I'll get back on the stand-up board and go. And uh, but. And then I heard, oh, Max Caps didn't make it, but now he's a coach. I'm like, why do you, a coach? Why do you need a coach? Oh, he just wanted to be a part of it. I know, but. But but I still you know I don't know what what a coach's credential would be for an Olympic team or whatever but whatever everybody seemed to have a nice so time. I hit the roller games up way ahead of time saying can I do the announcing oh yeah see that would have been great <clears throat> right and they go we don't even know who you are so I hit up IDF is that who they're yeah we don't know who you are either oh I'm like okay never Killing mind me they're yeah. like nobody has Google <laughs> I'm like dude nobody can announce the sport like I can I can tell you right now yeah you know I mean I know everything they're doing. Right, you know, I can I can even throw. Especially it. World Roller Games was a track with no touching your board, no touching the ground. Probably, you know, that, yeah. It definitely was. Yeah. So, and that's how it should be. That would have been right where you were. The you guy know. that slides better should not win. Right. You know, I, except for I mean, there are tracks where it's so technical that I agree. Sliding better equates to, you know, if you're driving a formula car, you're able to brake later. Okay, you know, so you have better pedal feel. So the rule I would make for that track is one at a time times. Okay. So the guy sliding can't take out the other guy sliding. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is, you know, there's an element to it where, for instance, at this point, Mike. Because we were one at a time. For that medal, we're forward, one at a time. Right. I look forward to time qualifying more than anything at this point. It's the best. The best I, wins. And that's why this weekend at this, at this event in uh, Santa Barbara, yeah. it was supposed to be a time trial. Yeah. But they announced like two weeks ago that there won't be a timing system and you have to do it with Strava, which is hilarious. Anything GPS is hilarious. It's, it's useless. Useless. Especially never, it's like... Remember Quebec? Times. Quebec was like... Seven miles an hour off all the time. What oh, yeah, plus yeah. or minus? Right. So when these people like that purple guy, the Barney the dinosaur, what's his name? Purple. The big giant dude on the street illusion, purple. Sure, it's not pink. Chris. Chris McBride. Yeah. Right. So he came down at the finish. I don't know if you were down there. And he's like, oh, all right. Oh, he he went, thought he went over hundred. Yeah. One hundred and four. One hundred and four. And they're all high fiving. And I'm sitting there and I go, I look at my brother and I go, you really think that happened? And he goes, I don't know. Right. And then he puts on Facebook. The fastest on a GPS I'm like, What does that mean? What does it even what the fastest that for the fattest? I don't know what it what now, does it even mean? So we have a hill in Colorado that's eighty miles. I got an hour. screwed on that hill. Yeah. You know, with by my by uh what's his name? Because we we're only supposed to do five runs, remember? Right. Yeah. And they gave him a six run to beat me. Because mm -hmm. at that point I was ahead of him. Right. Yeah. We have a hill in Colorado that's about eighty miles an hour, at least it was. It's murder chip sealed now, so it's never coming back. But we ran That GPS one that had there. the corner. It had a little bit of a bend to it, yeah. Right, it but, the guy, but that one guy wearing in Quebec said he went 97 through that corner or something, 87 through that corner, and you could see the timer was like here, and he cut the timer. No, that was that definitely no Quebec City guy ever came to Colorado. No, when we were in Quebec, oh, a guy yeah. announced that day that he just broke the world record, but all you guys are like, no. Oh, no. It was Kyle Wester. Kyle Wester from, yeah. from NHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, bullshit. Right, he waited until yeah. the day before to right. announce it, but we were all like, yeah, come on. And you uh, could see him cut the timer. Right. And we knew, and when he came, because then what he had to do, I mean, Kyle Wester, if you're listening, no love lost. But I, on that weekend. I don't even know him. But on that yeah. weekend, if you were going to announce that the day before, like, he had to be prepared to come to Quebec yeah. and blow us all away. Right. To, right. You know, he was had the fairing on his leg and the speed suit, but he turned out, he went faster than just his leathers. Yeah. At Quebec, like, 
if you're gonna throw that down, you better not show up. I had calf fairings in that in that picture right, right there. Yeah. If you're gonna show, if you're gonna throw down that gauntlet, well, if you're the fastest, you're the fastest. You better show up and be the fastest, because after that, everybody just looks at that video and goes, "Oh well, if Carlos had gone to Colorado, he would have gone five miles an hour faster than that." Yeah. But on that hill, I mean, we were riding that 12, 13 years ago with GPS. Mm-hmm. And our runs varied wildly. Oh, I know. It's and crazy. the fastest guys in the world would come and ride there too, and they would get wildly varying runs. And yeah. all we could say for sure is that we probably all went over 75. Well, you notice there's no speed runs uh, uh, officiated with a GPS. Right, of course not. I yeah. mean, it has the to be. The fastest I ever went on that board uh, with a radar gun was 72. Right, a radar gun is pretty accurate, yeah. but still not accurate enough for... We had know, a timer, too, and it was like 69 to 72 in the timer. Right. But we had timing strips. Right, oh tape, tape switches, yeah. Oh, the I, scariest thing I set up tape switches at that, at that 80-mile-an-hour hill once, oh my but they God. were two foot wide, a slalom timer. Yeah, that's what I did to that. So you had to go through these cones. Right. Yeah, so I did it at this hill down in, uh, off of Avenue Pico, and it went up. You go inland, and it goes way up. And I got towed to like 30 at the top of the hill. I went down and went somewhere between 69 and 72. And I said, my brain's going to explode. I'm not doing this no more. Right. And that was on that thing. That's heavy. It was crazy. And that's the thing too. Fastest on my luge before Quebec was 84. Wow. Yeah. So when we go and do time qualifying, even on a, you know, we go to a World Cup race in Europe with a three and a half minute track, it's still coming down to tenths. Right. Tenths of seconds. Right. You know, we've even figured out that like with qualifying, we have to have enough. We don't use the, the RFIDs for the finish line anymore because uh, more than one human being on the line, the magnetic field of our bodies will significantly distort the field and make the time off by up to three-tenths. Crazy. So that's At least barely, you guys are thinking about it properly. But that's barely accurate enough. So yeah. anything GPS is like, are you kidding me? Well, I saw that at Quebec. Right. Because I don't even think McBride got over 92. Yeah. The whole time. It's like, for my money, still pretty fast. Oh, it's fast. But but it's just like the same as me on my skateboard. I was, you know, 10 miles an hour off the pace. I'm not going to try to tell you that I went almost as fast as the guy who went fastest. Nowhere yeah. near. And then Andy Lally, I remember that. Can you help me? Dude. And I'm like, all right. So I went over His there. His setup was busted. And I said, uh, well, first of all, I said, why do you have the back truck bolted so steep? So I go, come in and look at my board. Yeah. So he looks at it and I go, he goes, how do you ride this so loose? I go, because tightness doesn't like, matter. With grace. It's just... The angle. Right. That's what I say to people because I'm at races all the time. And finally, maybe in the last two years, people will actually just bring me their board and say, can you fix this? Yeah. And I go, do you trust me? And they go, yes. And then I can just go to work. Yeah. But for years, it was like pulling teeth to yeah. get them to change one bushing. Well, back to that Andrew story. So I said, how about you listen to everything I tell you? So we went out in Madrid. We made a short board. We took my board. Right. Made a board. I remember the board. I remember him writing yeah. this. And then he got third. Right. And he's like, holy crap. I go, I told you. I know a little bit about going fast. Right. But with the yeah. truck geometry and tightening the rear instead of the front, my front truck is so loose that if you smack oh, yeah. it, it's... And Any of my boards are that way. And the way I explain to people is like, so if you're driving a truck and trailer yeah. and you had trailer sway, yeah. if you lock the steering, would it make it stop? No. No. Yeah. But you could make it more inherently stable and it might line out. Right. And that's kind of all that matters. That's why we can ride these little tiny weaponized setups on every track in the world and it doesn't matter. Right. You know, that was the, se- the second year of Charlevoix. I took my slalom setup and... In retrospect, if I had ridden... Do you ride concave? Uh, no. Oh, I love concave. Ah, see, this is something we're kind of getting into now. That I think concave's a lie. No. I blow all the concave. Hear me out. I blow all the concave out of my front heel and my back toe. And what it comes down to is when I'm cornering, when you're like leaned over in a corner, 
I want a straight compression out of my knee. And if my, especially on my back foot, if this is lipped up, it's going to pull my knee in and I'm not going to so get So how is your foot on the board? Uh, more or less flat. Maybe so a look at my foot. You see my back foot? Yeah. And see how I always ride back? Mm -hmm. I don't ride in the front. I run the back. So it pushes the front in instead of spinning the back out. Yeah, yeah. So when my back foot, I'm only operating by the toe, either pressure or no pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's on the concave. In the front, I'm riding the front. So I literally ride the board like this. Right. Same thing as me, like skis. More like, more like skis. Exactly. Snowboard. Yeah. yeah. And the only way, I used to take a wire and put it down the edge and put the grip tape over it because my toes could feel that wire. Yeah. And it made so much more finesse. If you have finesse, you're fast. Right. And if this you're is loading the, the bearing like this, you're, you're not fast. That, you know, when we, our boards lean a lot so that we can have the articulation of the truck at the speed that we're cornering at with the grip of modern wheels. Right. And as a result, if you have concave under your heel when you're really trying to like lean the chair back, it pushes your foot up like this. So if you think about it, if you were going to corner really hard on a snowboard, if your foot was like this, you wouldn't be able to do it. No, I... You I, have to get to here. I hear what you're saying, but I've ridden flat boards and I feel like they'll vibrate my foot right off the board. And that's just my brain. Right. So that's the other thing we have now. I mean, we put like big set screws and spikes and stuff in the board. And so then try this. Try your next board. Put a little piece of wire mm -hmm. on the edges. Put the grip tape over it and tell me if it changes anything. Okay, sure. Because just mentally when you feel the edge, the little bump, that might be all you need as far as concave goes. Right. I mean, the other thing yeah. we have now is we have this guy Calvin who's incredible. And these are like my kind of dumbed down walking ones. But we have, you know, oh, yeah, hard machined orthotics. Yeah, I have them too. That tune our, you know, our body geometry and yeah. just the posting in the heel and the captive heel cup. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, instead of bringing the concave to my foot, I'm just bringing my And foot I'm to talking the about everything that you feel right here. Yeah. That's all I'm talking about. Right. So try that some. Put piece a wire, wire in there. Yeah. Just oh, like a it. piece of safety wire. I'll, I will humor you. Yeah. <laughs> and just put it under the grip tape, you know, and then go ride it. See what you think. Because you can just pull it out. Right, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. So at this point, do you follow downhill skateboarding much? I like watching it. I mean, I wish I would have learned to slide. I probably would have been pretty good at it. You know what I mean? Probably. Yeah, so I take it that you're kind of you're you're kind of the type of person who you've been good at most things you've ever done. Well, I know how I did on street luge, and I used to tape twenty dollar bills on my feet. Right. So 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 I, I asked on Instagram yesterday for people to have questions. If anybody had any questions for you, and uh, that somebody mentioned that. So what's what's the story on that? So what I would do is people. People would come down and they go, what about your shoes? And I go, what about my shoes? And they go, well, they wear out. I said, no, because I don't put my feet or down. you don't break. Yeah, I don't break. So you put a $20 bill on your foot. So they go, oh, bullshit. I go, give me a $20 bill. I said, I'll put it under this foot. They and have I to give you the 20 bucks though. Yeah, I said, if it's not ripped, I get to keep it. If oh, it's okay. ripped, I'll give you one. Oh, okay. So they go, okay. So I'd go the whole hill. It wouldn't be ripped. Right, no So problem. they're like, oh, well, you're only breaking with that foot. Okay, give me another 20. And I put 20 under both. And I go all the way down the hill and I get to the bottom and I just throw it sideways and stop. I never put my foot down. And this is so cool to me that like Ryan Farmer is, is messing around a lot with sliding a luge right now. And he's kind of the only guy in the world doing it. Yeah. You but don't know how bad I want to race him for five grand, even at my age. I mean, he's, he might listen to this, so. I don't care. All right. Yeah. I, I, but, but, here's, but here's the thing. Glendor Mountain Road, one run. I'd be a damn fool to bet against you. <laughs> well, I, I have I a board believe, at my other shop. My friends know there's a board hanging on the wall to go race Ryan Farmer. I couldn't bet one dollar. Because he's talked more crap about me to everybody than any human I know. Wow. Yeah. That's a tall order. But he's never even come to see me. You know huh. what I mean? Interesting. He's, he, this, the gravity cars, he can outdrive me. The street loose, he can outride me. All this stuff. And I'm like, 
Dude, I got money. You get money. And this is the other thing, too. It's like, this is the I'm Hudson. I'm 61-year-old man. This is the Hudson thing. Yeah. They're like, if it weren't for you and the groundwork you laid for this. Well, they don't even realize I invented the four-wheel front. Right. Only me. So this is like, so significant, uh, so listeners, significant advances uh, from Roger include uh, four wheels on the front of a street luge, precision trucks. A billion wheels. Right. Pretty much everything that we call a modern wheel. Yeah. Uh, tuck, tuck, tuck with the knee in behind, which up until this point, I thought Mark Golter was the first to do. No, so. no, no. I got a great Mark Golter story. So Before the helmet. Uh, so, so aero helmets, where, where did that begin? That one is 1978. And was that for stand-up or for Stand-up. Okay. And what's, what is that? That's a flyaway inside of cardboard that Jerry made me. And is it just cardboard or is it fiberglass over the cardboard? Cardboard just with gel coat over it. So, I'll, guys, I'll get a picture of this. For because the... I wanted uh, it to break away if I crashed and not break my neck. Yeah, yeah, we still work on that. Yeah. Though it hasn't, knock on wood, been actually as big of a problem as you Well, look how would. long it is. Right. Jesus, that would have... So, so, this is probably the first aero helmet for downhill. Yeah, and so after that helmet, like five years later, I had the Lance Armstrong people call me and I made a helmet for them. Because cool. they saw that helmet. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, yeah, aero helmets. Uh, let's see, what else? Speed suits. Yep, speed suits for downhill. I started that. Yep. yep. I, had, I had a girl make them for me. Right. They didn't make them. You couldn't even buy them. So they used wetsuits. I started speed suits. Right, which are thinner and, and better oh, yeah, fitting yeah. and easier to ride in. Let's see, if we just like, kind of look around the room. So, and then, you know, everything that Pretty we Pretty much call, all street loose stuff. Anything that we would call a modern aero helmet. So the first one and anything that we would relate, because pretty much all aero helmets that people wear now can trace their roots back to this one. Right. Because this one... That's the first one. There's undeniable inspiration in there from a fast track speed skiing helmet. Yeah, yeah. Which so that's when... Jarrett uh, would have been aware of. That's when What's-His-Name came in. Uh, I always called him Candy Ham, but I forget Landing what his name. Ham. Landing Richard Ham, Richard yeah. Landing Ham. Yeah, yeah, so he came in after that and yeah. did the big penis helmet. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, where which nobody... in speed skiing was faster. Yeah, but you can't see when you push. Yeah, you can't see when you do anything. Yeah, you look like Mr. Robot Head. Yeah. And so um, Perry bought the penis head, and, and I had this one. And, and then I made a couple more of those, and then I didn't want to make them because there's too many. I didn't trust Biker and everybody else, so I just gave it to Jarrett because Jarrett joined Dregs. And I go, here, you want to make helmets, you make it. So I gave him my mold. Hmm. I gave him my shield mold that bent the shields, and I gave him the mold for the helmet. So it had, so the ones you were making, you were, you were molding, forming the polycarbonate. Yeah, I have a mold out there for it. I have a mold out there for a whole other helmet and a shield. For this helmet? For a whole different one. Wow. Yeah. How long has it been since you made a shell in it? my god i don't know what does it look like it's on like a post i could show it to you oh my you god i'd need to see it yeah. i have the i have the largest collection of aero helmets in the world i have 21 oh, cool. 21 distinct shapes and like i have a whole nother helmet sitting out there and i own helmets from you know all, all the ones that i believe to be important it's that helmet right there see the black i'm on the loose board yeah that helmet yeah that's a whole different helmet wow i made that i made that helmet right so yeah from the so archives. when i went to quebec i wanted my own board my own helmet my own trucks, my own wheels. Oh yeah. So everything in Quebec was mine. So what is your what has been your motivation behind wanting to make all your own stuff? Because like I couldn't find anything that I thought would be better than what I could make. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then and so I now have a reverse kingpin twin live axle. Cool. Yeah. It, I I can show it to you. It's in there. I'd love to see. I'm it. working with uh, Chet Thomas. Okay. Because for me, stuff. like, I I wanted to ride all my own gear. One because I just like. I you like know, making any, shit. Right. Anytime I figure out something new, like I'm building saddles now. Yeah. As soon as That's I, awesome. it, right. As soon as I got a saddle, I started picking apart. Like, I don't like this. This you could see, be See, I always liked an Australian saddle with the wings right here and no horn. 
Those are right, my, my favorites in a uh, in a Wade saddle. No, like a wa- oh man. Okay, well this is gonna be a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got. Have you ridden this. an Australian saddle? Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Because so I always like, had draft horses and big horses, right? And so their big loamy lope was good with the little paddles yeah, right here yeah. and no big horn. So. I always wanted to make my own gear from the beginning. One, because I'm just a tinkerer, and as soon as I see something, the only reason I race is because I like to make shit like that car. Right? Yeah. So, and I made that car 65 miles an hour fast. That's amazing. Yeah, we went from 275 to 347. That's huge. Yeah, we break we we broke the record by over 100 miles an hour. Wow. So it drove me nuts when I first got into this. When I'd see ads, especially from Chappet, that were the language of the ad was such that it said basically like. This wheel won this race with this rider. And I never, I hated that. That's, yeah. That somebody could take away the accomplishment of the rider. Yeah. And I, like for my company's marketing, has always tried to be, you know, so-and-so won this race and we'd like him. Yeah. You know, and that was, but if I made all my own stuff, I was prepared to like live or die by my own ideas, which yeah. luckily were good enough. Yeah. But that no one could ever take it away from me. Good or bad, you know, yeah. no one could ever say, oh, well, you only won because you had the best wheel. Well, if I won because I had the best wheel, but I made it, it's a good thing anyway. Well, that's what biker used to tell me. Right. You only won because of your truck, but I made the truck. Right. Yeah. And you sold them, too. It wasn't like you were I would sell them to him, and he wouldn't even, he wouldn't, he just didn't want right. them. And worst case scenario, all he had to do was buy one set and t- copy them yeah. if he really needed, if it was he, really Well, nobody could afford it. Right. I mean, there's so much work in that truck. Yeah. I mean, oh, no, there's a lot of machines. You have to have an inner sleeve that has a spring clip holding the sleeve so the bearing shoulder. Oh, yeah, like this design is, to me, undeniably mechanically superior, but to use it in the modern era, you would have to have five setups already put together because you'd never switch wheels quick enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now my new one that I was going to make, uh, the second phase of the, of the uh, reverse kingpin, is their cartridges. And the cartridge locks in and has a pin with a bolt. And so you have these cartridges sitting with your wheels and your... Right, already in your wheel. Already ready to so go. So you just you pull it out. So you want wider, you pull out the wider cartridge. Doop, mm-hmm. doop, and the axles are already in, everything's in. So it's the middle hanger and then load on cartridges. Yeah, awesome. And it just has a web that keeps it all strong. Perfect. Yeah. So that, see, that solves the problem. Right. Because that... You know, oh, yeah, you do, them, you do all your cartridges ahead of time at night and you just change them when you want. So, so at the beginning, you started racing go-karts, and then skateboarding came along, and that was kind of, that was what you raced for a long time. Well, before skateboarding, I raced motorcycles, okay. water skis, and boats, and uh, then skateboarding, and then I was racing skateboards, motorcycles, boats, water skis, and uh, different cars. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, uh, I mean, there was, I would say, in the 90s, oh my God. I was on MTV all the time, photographer for Playboy, and raced everything you could race, and had long great hair. So yeah, it was yeah. like, I too once had long great hair, but not so much as now I just have gray hair. Now time. I just have great gray hair, and so, uh, so it was just rock star life that you know. So that's why when biker and all that stuff ended, it was like, ah, you know, I got married, so the Playboy thing had to stop, and um, then uh, it was just one thing at a time, just kept. And so since then, what have you been racing? Uh, racing motorcycles in the desert. Um, and, and have you had much success with that? Oh, yeah. Ton, wind and everything. Yeah. Right. I, I know that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but the listeners need to yeah, know. Yeah. So. so I race the 60 class now, but I actually race the 40 class as a 60 because the 60s are too slow. And yeah. so fortunately, my brother's like the fastest guy ever in the history of desert racing. And so chasing him all the time always made me fast. Like I could never beat him, but he, 
We start in the old man row, which is three rows back, and he mm -hmm. wins overall by seven minutes. Wow. Yeah, and he's 56 years old. So hickey speed is no, it's, well, not, yeah, it's not an isolated No, incident. no, no, we've raced everything you could possibly. I have a new website now that shows like all the different things I've raced. Cool. Finally, I made a hickeyspeed.com, and now I bought a thing to, I, have, I was on 146 TV shows. I had four one-hour documentaries about me. Wow. One hour, and they're European. Yeah. And so I'm going to record them all and put them on my own YouTube channel because my wife's like, you need to start putting this stuff on there. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I would love to be able to tell people where to find this. Yeah, because I got proof of a lot of stuff. Like, I, I have that biker tape, the fight tape. Yeah. So that's going on there. That's what I mean. As long as this stuff is available on hard copy somewhere, well, it's I'm not at, lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one day it will be if we don't tell anybody about it. Yeah, I have them all. And I literally, the box is sitting right over there. I just bought this thing that plugs into my computer and takes a VHS. Yeah, converts the tape. Yeah. yeah. So I told my wife, I'm going to do one a day. And then by a half a year later, I'll have like over 100 TV shows of me doing downhill. So when all these people go, oh, you used to race when there's only three people in one race a year. Really? Uh, I don't right. think so. There were more races then than there are now. There was. Just in, just in the Western United Absolutely. States. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Lee Dancy will tell you that. Yeah, yeah. We were racing all the time, you know. But uh, so I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to race that electric car. and uh, no, we can't talk about that, though. Yeah. I'll, it, I'll we can say it's out. an electric car. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be racing an electric car. That's all we know. Cool. Yeah. And then um, still racing my off-road car out there. I have a Can-Am. Mm -hmm. And then uh, still racing my motorcycle. And I, I imagine that you're attacking all those I things. I might be racing Ryan Farmer. Right. I imagine you're attacking all those things the same way. Yeah. Every little piece, everything matters. I work out like crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I only do like... Sit-ups, jump rope, and sit-ups, and sit jump rope, and push-ups. That's it. And ride a bike. Right. You know, it's all 90% cardio. Right. Core, cardio, mobility. That's it. Yeah. And stomach. Right. Yeah. To be versatile. And legs. That's it. Yeah. Man. Very inspiring. Try my wheels. I've, I'm looking forward to it. Do you yeah. mind if I ride the shit out of them Ride this the weekend? shit out of them. Cool. I'll, yeah, I'll see what we can do. If they're fast, I'll just keep giving them to you. All right. I have 500 of them. Wow. I, haven't sold, I haven't sold any because I haven't tried. Right. So, I, at some point, I'd probably like to sell some of them. I paid a shitload for the molds and everything else. Oh, they're, yeah, I know. Because they're my molds. Yeah. But if you notice, it's, it's exact centers. Yeah. So, what's so, and you, you wanted to make this an all around fast, but really good rollout for push. Okay. And um, what, where are you at on. Uh, but street loose, What do you think about be, electric skateboards? I love them. Yeah, this is the thing. I, I've been my five inches. Oh my! Right, I've been struggling to find traction with this with some of my contemporaries, but I think electric skateboard racing has a real future. Absolutely, because you can put it in a city. Yeah, you can do you a can Grand Prix. It, you right, you can put it in any city in the world in flat places. It doesn't matter. You can parking lots and a go kart track. Go kart tracks brilliant. There's a go kart track in every county. If you did a series of electric board races and go, I'll invest in this. Like, you and I could do this together. I'm in. I'm Especially, in. you know, whoever it is that you're working with, with this electric car. Like, build me a board. Yeah. I'm ready to do this. Well, they have so many boards already. You'll just have these board companies come on board. Right. And yeah. the thing that I think is very... They, really want, they it, want this to happen. Especially because there's all this, like, all this support from, uh, you know, all these car companies and stuff are getting into uh -huh. electric. And the thing that I think... You, you nailed it with a go-kart track. Right. Yeah, the go out to Adams. Real potential oh, is that the point because you don't have a handle, right? Yeah. The point at which the board becomes so powerful yeah. that it's almost unrideable 
is well before the point where it becomes so expensive that no one can build one. Oh, yeah. Well, they're almost too powerful now. Exactly. Right. So you run like my five inches on an electric board? Right. So that I think I, I think Like, we're how gonna... about two laps at the Long Beach Grand Prix as an exhibition? Exactly. Right. But I think we're going to pneumatic tires almost immediately. I don't think so. I think we'll it's overwhelm. so much slower. But not when you have too much power. Still slower. So even when you have too much horsepower to put on the ground, because yeah. the board will shoot out from under you, then how is it slower? Because the rollout. So but you just have electricity. But, but I guess you, you're trying to conserve electricity. When you get off the throttle coming into a turn, you still got rollout. I suppose. Yeah. But why wouldn't we be coming onto the brakes? I don't know. It'd be a good one. Because I see it where we're going to build setups that lean to almost this much angle. I've always thought that if you could build that... That's the top secret urethane right there. Nobody in the world has that urethane. Yeah, I like the one with no pigment. And you know, well, it doesn't, it doesn't fall off with no pigment. You know what I mean? It stays far Plus, my dad is a, was, you know, for 30 years. You know, you're the only person besides me and Neil that know what I was doing there. Yeah. yeah. My dad was a glass blower. Uh, and I originally started out making wheels of red and blue. Yeah. And I made some that were white. Yeah. And they were head and shoulders better. Same formula. Yeah. And I didn't really get it. I was yeah. like, wow, okay, I don't know what's going on. And he told me that whenever he would make red or blue glass, yeah. you know, if he made 100 paperweights, he'd have to leave them sitting on the shelf for two weeks before he shipped them because two or three out of 100 would break yeah. just sitting there because the pigment was so chemically active. Right. Because anything with, wheels. with red or blue, right. or he told me all the colors that had really kind of, anything with a melting temperature below 1,000 degrees was just Bouncing so let's around. so let's say I'm I have the exact same form I don't but let's say I have the exact same formula as seismic mm -hmm. and uh, abic which are the same formula right and I have white I'm automatically faster right because any of those neon pigments especially are incredibly oh, active and they have a UV stuff stabilizer too around inside well the those don't have any UV together. stabilizer right so they'll turn yellow in a heartbeat but who cares who cares and so I did a test because the titanium dioxide the white pigment is so stable mm -hmm. you know it's effectively that's not even white right that's this just is just natural. this is raw yeah yeah same color as my yeah. stuff the the White is so stable. I mean, it has a melting point of 2,000 degrees. At yeah. The urethane processing temperature, it's rock steady. No chunking, nothing. And I did a test maybe five years ago where I asked Anne to just pour me five different concentrations in, my, in one batch to give me raw 15%, 30%, 60%, you know, full white. Mm -hmm. And I rode all of them, had my guys ride all of them, and we couldn't tell the difference between any of them. Oh, cool. So we made the decision to go, all right, we're going to keep making bright white because it looks yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Because we couldn't tell the difference. Right. But that's, you know, that's absolutely part of it. Right. But I, I, I really, you know, it makes me think, because the ABEC wheels, especially at the time, were so good and so dominant, so fast. Mm -hmm. How much better would they have been if they'd been white? A lot. That's why, like, if you ride Bones uh, Skate Park Formula, you know, park wheels, I ride white ones, and they're tremendous. I have a case of them out there. They make white. them in neon green and neon pink. Right. And those ones are just ride like shit. Right. So, Neil and I have talked about this for years. If we could make a road bike bicycle uh with white urethane oh man tires you know how fast they i heard be? i heard a rumor like 10 years ago that tom peterson yeah that. tom peterson and 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 but it's too expensive we're still trying to figure it out yeah because i heard something about like you had to make the mold rotate and, and you have to make it so they can adjust it so we were doing an inner liner that's the different durometers to the outer right. liner but if we do that do you know that tour de france would be it, you would win by a day yeah oh yeah yeah so that's my point with the electric skateboards is it's still faster so if you have the traction, it's still going to be faster. If you have the traction. If you have the traction, but I think you can get it. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm very excited to find out. You know, I haven't been excited about skateboard racing 
like I am about the prospect of because that's the well, other thing. Then we I, should try to at least I could race every weekend. Why don't we hit up uh, Long Beach Grand Prix next April? Okay. Why don't we hit them up and say we want to do a two lap exhibition? Right. I don't know if we're ready. To, who cares? Give it another year till it looks kind of pro. If, even even if it didn't, you're going to create buzz. Right. Because you know what? If it were next year, if it were in April, I'd start working on it now. And at least right. I'd look okay. I'll even put up a thousand bucks. You know what I mean? We right. we get money where we put for prize money, like mm -hmm. I did that uh, Skater X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that uh, Skater Cross. <laughs> I haven't had a hipper that bad since. But how fun was that event? <laughs> it was really fun. It was awesome. Nobody ever had the balls to do that. That was ten thousand out of my pocket. Right. Literally, no sponsors. Two thousand eleven was a hell of a drug. It was ten, ten, ten. Yeah. That's when it was. It was on October tenth okay, of two thousand ten. For ten grand, 10, I did it person. Two thousand ten was a hell of a drug. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I just said I'm gonna do we were it. We're going somewhere back. I then. put up like seventeen thousand in ramps, ten thousand. Yeah, in my man. Pocket. It was a production, and it brought the best of the best out of the woodwork. It was, it was badass cool. though. Yeah. I mean, it was way before anybody did skater cross. Right. You know, and I said we could do this, man, it and it worked. was fun. It was hard. Dude, it was brutal. I wasn't ready for that. You had the big giant thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was like, I just wasn't prepared, but I could walk around on that. I was slow as hell. But look, by the time I got to the finals, those guys are fucking fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, Willis Kimball and, and Benji Galloway are like two of the best skateboarders in the world right yep. now. You know, and now Kimball's dad is Kurt Kimball that him and I used to fist fight down the hill. Right. And then, of course, Kimball comes out to get his check and goes, is this going to bother my food stamps and uh, welfare? He said, yes. I said, yeah, it is. He goes, well, can you not report? I said, no, don't be on food stamps and welfare. Right. Go get a fucking job. Congratulations. You're above the poverty line because you won my race. Stupid ass. <laughs> wow, that's funny. Yeah. All right, well, for today, we should wrap this up. That's fine. Yeah, I got plenty of stories. I know, man. I got we, a great Gulcher story for the future. Yeah, because yeah. this is going to get me, this gets me to the modern era. Yeah. And I can kind of fill in some EDI era shenanigans yeah. with Danzy and all these other and guys. Perry, you know? Dave, and uh, Perry Fisser. Right, so I'm gonna, you're going to have to send me an email or something. With I will. A, I'm going to send you Simon Gunning, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll be back here periodically. I'm probably going to do another trip, honestly, maybe in... December or January, just to come here for five days and interview yeah, folks because yeah. I've got a list. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got to get to Cliff Coleman. You know, I invented the slide. Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, it's a moment. He, he tried to there. teach me and I broke my ankle. Right. Yeah. But but it didn't become useful for so long. I mean, no, I can't even. But Cliff imagine. Coleman invented it. Oh no question. Yeah, he, no, he would he have classes. Yeah. But, but I love Cliff Coleman. It didn't become the tool that we have now for for a long time. But he had the vision. Well, because they thought it was like a freestyle thing. Right. That's why they, they didn't realize what he was doing. You know, I, I'm hopefully going to talk to Louis Poloni this weekend because he is the, the, I want to talk to him about the day the foot breaking died because there was a day. Yeah. It was at one race in France in 2009 where it just the writing was on the wall that yeah. sliding was the thing now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'll be back because I'm going to need more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this has been tremendous. Thank yeah. you very much. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks for the philosophies and the, and the stories. You have a good memory. So we, we still might have to get Ryan Farmer. But yeah, uh, hey, please, I'll, I'll I'll call him. Let me go write it once and see if I'm still interested. And if I am, I'll I'll get the check and we'll see what happens. Okay, I'll I'll come film it. Yeah, perfect. It's on. Yeah, we'll actually do it on your podcast. We'll do the the challenge on it. Wow, live yeah. feed. Yeah, there you go. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. See ya.